Live. Welcome, everyone. This is the 20th episode of Season 2 of the Worldwide Wednesday Podcast. I'm your host, Sovereign. And I'm Shiny. And uh, before we start, um, we have now basically doubled... Um, we're nearly doubled how long our previous season was. Season one was 11 episodes. We are now at 20 episodes for season two. No way. Yeah. So I wonder how we're going to determine when our cutoff should be for like each season. Hmm. At this point, we got one every week, so uh, we can't really stop here. Yeah. Anyways, so we have, we have a lot to talk about. We have um, Kenobi... We Ms. have Miss Marvel. Um, I want to briefly touch on a Young Justice ending, as well as the beginning of the new comic series tying into the series Young Justice Targets, as well as a brief talk about a Dark Crisis issue number one. And then we also have the January 6th commission. Yep, definitely learned a lot about that, but we'll get to that in the yes. second half of our and podcast. I believe there was one other political segment we said we were going to talk about last week. Did we? No, we pretty much just teased the Jan 6 stuff. It was it was just Jan 6? I believe so. Okay, um, if it comes to me, I'll remember it. But yeah, so um, let's just get started. Which one do you want to start with? I want to start with Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel? Okay, let's go. This episode, in my opinion, was just as good, if not better than the last one. No, I disagree. The first one was, be was leagues better, although this one still keeps up the quality. I think this one was just so, as good as not if not better because it kept up the same vibe as in it kept with the whole it kept the same quality in one Kamala's family life like it didn't seem like it dipped it just felt like a natural extension of his characterization of her characterization but also how they're handling her developing her powers I felt was much smoother and much better than how a series normally handles someone first using their powers it felt far more streamlined yeah i won't disagree with that at all um i just felt like the uh the relatability in season one was a lot stronger as far as like being able to relate to kamala's situation kamala's situation yeah I that's, felt that's that... the one element that really i felt i was much more blown back by in episode one yeah and that's the reason I rated the episode so high last week was because of its accuracy to a first-generation uh, American citizen who comes from an immigrant family. Yeah, well, I actually felt the relatability was still pretty high. It, it was still high. I just felt it was, like, like up on the top in episode yeah. one. T episode two here, I would say it didn't dip that much, but... I would still say it's there, especially with the, Illuminati, still... the Illuminatis. Oh, yeah, no, that bit was funny, but yes. I will say it was leagues uh better in episode one but still in this episode still really good that's my that's the only reason like it's a little down for me but this is still a spectacular episode but i do want to dive back to what you said where you were talking about how this like the development of her powers are extremely streamlined yeah for example i feel like a lot of like um what this reminded me of was a better version of how Shazam handled Billy getting his first powers, which was already really good. Oh yeah, I felt this was better than how Shazam handled it, and Shazam was really good in terms of handling Billy getting his powers. Like, because a lesser show would have like had her basically struggle for like several episodes, and then by the end of it, it's just like, bam! I know how to use it all. 
Meanwhile, this one, it shows that she's actively practicing and she's not doing overly complex things from the beginning. But she's starting small, like taking steps, creating a slide out of her, out of her like abilities. Yeah, and she's still struggling. Like in her first save, yeah, like she was still pra practicing the basic maneuvers and all of that. Yeah, and she's still struggling to like control the powers, but it doesn't feel like she's like crawling at a snail's pace. It's like proportional because this is some. It's basically powers based off of her imagination. Yeah. So like the sky's the limit, and so I feel like it makes sense in terms of how someone would realistically view their powers. They're like, well. I can't fly, but what if I tried to create steps? Which I feel a lot of people would think when they have superpowers to create things with their minds. Like, I don't have super strength, but I could make my face bigger. And, the, and you're very right to bring up, like, yeah, the process in which she learned her powers was very similar to how uh, Billy figured it out in Shazam. Yeah. I will say, an apt comparison to make... <laughs> To show is uh, the original uh, Raimi trilogy. In that one, uh, Peter actually just went full in. Was like, okay, I have a web. I'm gonna swing, and it was, you know, not. <laughs> it wasn't as streamlined as in in Shazam and Miss Marvel, where yeah. he just dove right into it, and for that he got a building to the face. Yeah. Whereas here, it's a little bit more realistic. Like probably realistic would be like okay, how much weight can my webs handle or something like that? Yeah. Um, another thing <laughs> that I liked is she's even doing a bit of physical training. Yeah, a little bit. She's doing a little bit of physical training, which, I mean, obviously. But the fact that they even considered the idea that, you know, maybe she does do a little physical training just to be a little in shape, I think uh was going the extra mile and showing how her and Bruno are, like, one, taking this seriously while trying to have fun, but two, shows how much the writers have gone into showing just what it's like to be a beginner superhero and some of the things you'll need to do. Like, I'm gonna be honest here. If you're gonna be a high schooler and a superhero, you need to have stamina comparable to a cross-country uh, athlete. Yeah, so the fact that they're even showing that, yeah, she's gonna have to physically train herself, I thought was really good. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked with um, um, the, the scene was um, when uh, she fell and he was like, don't let go. And she's like, you have to let me go, which was clearly a parody of Clinton and Natasha. Uh, see, <clears throat> when I saw that scene, I'm like, it's not that far. I've seen this bit in Always Sunny. I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> this, <laughs> it's like, don't let me go. And the... The, the floor. floor is like a foot away. I've, yeah. I've seen this bit in too many other pieces of media. It was good, but it, I thought it was I thought it was extra funny because it was supposed to parody Clint and Natasha, especially because there've been a lot of Black Widow Easter eggs in this show. Yeah, and I was like, oh wow, it's not too soon anymore. <laughs> Speaking of Easter eggs, I thought the uh, like the uh, addition of the Kingo Easter egg was really good. Yes, uh, for one, really like it because one, it this. I've seen a lot of people say this is the most interconnected, non-interconnected MCU show. Like, it's not overbearing. Yeah, like, it's... You can firmly place this within the MCU, but you don't necessarily need to have watched any MCU property ahead of time. Like, this is probably the best <laughs> example. Like, 
let, we can think. What is like one where the overconnectivity was like absolutely overbearing? Overconnectivity. I would probably say either Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Hawkeye. Exactly. Yeah. My my first thought was to go to Hawkeye. Yeah. Honestly, because. Honestly, they did not tra- treat Kingpin that great in that show. I feel like they treated Kingpin fine. I just felt that they should have introduced him sooner. Oh, yeah. If they introduced him sooner, that would have been a much more justified. But he only... The reason I say that is he only has five minutes of screen time. Yeah. My <laughs> my biggest issue has all... My biggest issue beforehand with, this, with um, the earlier Disney Plus shows was that they always wanted to keep the villain a secret instead of just being out there up front about who the villain is. Meanwhile, Miss Marvel hasn't done that yet, where we haven't seen the villain, but on the flip side, they've gone all in on developing the character and the world around her to supplement it. The other shows, like Hawkeye and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they didn't do much to truly expand the world around the characters when not showing the villain. Meanwhile, yeah. Moon Knight, they went fill in on showing who the villain was from minute one. Yeah. And that made it so that while the world expanded, we always knew who the villain was and what they were up to and what we needed to do. And I feel like Moon Knight and Miss Marvel ride like a fine line, but on like different ends of the spectrum. Because yeah. Moon Knight like rides the line perfectly as to not having inter- any inter- interconnectivity or overbearing like can't like crossovers or cameos or anything like that yeah i think the only crossovers we had was um one was a mention of madripoor and then uh, the mention of the ancestral plane that's about it yeah and the uh, mention of the ancestral plane is a blink and you'll miss it yeah and also there's maybe some grc like posters in the background yeah whereas and i wouldn't even count those because that's not even like in your face type stuff yeah meanwhile with Miss Marvel, Marvel, it's, like, obviously the Avengers, like, um, Ant-Man having a podcast. Um, uh, Kingo being referenced in his Bollywood productions. Yeah, or, um, later on in this episode, we got, I mean, the fact that Edith returns. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a pretty huge thing, the fact that damage control, not only, like, we know back in No Way Home, damage control took control of all of the Edith drones, but now we're seeing, oh, they are using Edith. Yeah, yeah, because that is a that was an Edith drone, which um was actually pretty unique to see, but also shows just how easy they are to destroy, like they were in Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, but um, do you think they're using the same Edith AI? Because obviously they're using the same drones, but do you think they've repurposed the AI itself, or they've just uploaded a new AI into it? I think they uploaded a new AI. Yeah, because I don't think they would, ha- because I mean, I'm gonna be honest here, using the Using the uh, Edith AI itself, that sounds like intellectual property. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I think it's I think it's similar to how um, I think it's more similar. Remember when the government was trying to break into an iPhone and they needed Apple to give them the information on how to do it, and Apple wouldn't do so. That's right. I felt it was something like this, where the government wanted access into how they could use or replicate the Edith AI, and Pepper wouldn't give it over so they went to the next next thing which was create their own ai and then just use the edith drones which they were able to confiscate because technically they're allowed to confiscate it true yeah Yeah. i also really liked um the fed like i didn't like the feds but i liked the like that how the feds acted which was um one 
Cleary used the same tactic he used on Ned to use on Zoe. Uh, yes, yes, and I did. This time it worked. But second of all, the fact that they were like, um, you know... I mean, it still worked on Ned. Still worked, but not as much as how it worked on Zoe. Yeah, I mean, it's clear that he looked into her background and just find out what would make her tick. Yeah, and then the other thing was um, how, like, not racist they are. Was, yeah, was yeah, like... like it, Latin was she Latina? Oh, no, sorry, I'm supposed to say... It. Latin. Acts. Oh, I'm just gonna say as a Latino person, I hate that. Oh, I can only imagine. I hate that so much. I also as like, a, yeah, no. As someone who's Latino and that hasn't been fully integrated into, like, our community, it's just, oh, God. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, but I have absolute disdain for that title. Ugh. I can imagine. Yeah. And then also when um, they were like, so we're gonna check every temple every i everything I'm gonna be and then honest. He, and then he lingered on mosque and See, th yeah. that, i'm gonna complain about that that wasn't subtle enough i'm sorry that was just too in my face i think no i think that was the point because they were looking for a reaction when notice how they zoomed in on zoe when he said mosque i think that was intentional i'm not complaining about that i'm just complaining about the listing off more than anything i felt like okay i get it the dodc is racist i understand oh no it's not that they're racist i think they just did that because there's a sizable muslim population where kimberly lives I not mean, kimberly where zoe lives i mean yeah uh because i think i feel like if they didn't zoom in on the on well, zoe well, the, it would have been that well yeah the line serves more than one purpose it's just yeah. i think i think we're just focusing on the different different like yeah the main thing up. about the racism was the next line where it's like be respectful we don't want to step on the fbi's toes which is a clear reference to the fact that ever since 9 11 the fbi has been monitoring any and every single mosque in america see that was that i felt was a little more like okay i understand where we're, we're going at that it's not too in your face i understood yeah. that yeah i don't think it was supposed to be when they said mosque that it was supposed to be the dodc is racist but more like what is going to get her to react? Yeah. It Again, it's not like the emphasis on the mosque. It's more like the listing off that I have more of a problem with. Yeah. But then again, it only makes sense. Those are, I mean, I, I, I can understand it, but as someone that lived in a bigger city, like Jersey City, um, th that those are the exact places you would look because those are, to be fair... Those are ethnic hubs. You are going to, if you're going to look for someone and all you have is their ethnicity, you might as well start those places. Fair. So I feel like they have to list those off because where the fuck else would you look? Like, if you were looking for, um, I don't know, you're looking for a white guy with, like, a long beard, I'd probably start looking at religious areas first. Yeah, I just, I don't know, it's the dialogue that really bugs me. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like the dialogue could have been done a little bit better for the same purpose. Yeah, but I don't think they were trying to be subtle. That's the thing. Like I don't think it, I don't think there was supposed to be subtlety in the line. I think it was so and uh, the the scene just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. But um yeah, and then we see that they were at the Eid festival waiting for uh Nightlight, which I swear is a reference to Night Monkey. 
I know Marvel's doing a whole bunch like the MCU itself is doing a bunch of oh yeah we're gonna just give them that name instead it's look it's not the same name as the character but that at the same time I mean what else would you fucking call them <laughs> it's like oh that's Miss Marvel why the fuck would you call that Miss Marvel or when Spider-Man is in all black with no identifiers of Spider-Man why would you be like yeah that's definitely Spider-Man <laughs> You could just say, I don't know. It's a... You ha you have to name it something, but it's not going to be that character because why the fuck would anyone name it that? It would never be. I'm not arguing that. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Nightlight. I mean, I, I just see it as a trend, and I. It is a trend, but it's and a trend I, I... that is, in my opinion, the most realistic trend. It is realistic, but they're obviously doing it for like com. Like it was obvious in. Uh, in a Far From Home that it was done for comedy. Oh, yeah. And it's done for comedy here, but I think the comedy comes from the fact that, like, yeah. it, it is realistic in the sense that, like... I, I just don't yeah. like them rehashing jokes. I mean, I feel like this was inevitable. It was. I feel, because of the, the genre... Inevit the inevitability isn't an excuse, though. But I feel because of the genre that we're in, that joke is always going to be made whether you like it or not. I better not see it one more time, and I'll stick my foot in for that. See, the problem <laughs> is, is I fully expect that joke to appear in many properties just because... What else would you do? Like, the, like given how comic books work, you're always introduced to... Like, the public is always introduced to the character because the character announces who they are. Yeah. But in the MCU, they don't do that because that doesn't necessarily make sense. So I feel like that joke just is always going to happen because that's just how the medium works. I'm not going to like it. You're not I mean, you, I'm not telling you to like it, but I'm I am telling like it. I'm not you're, telling you to like it, you're, but you're, I you're am trying to rationalize this to me like you're trying to change my opinion. It's no, not going to happen. I'm not trying to tell you to like it, but I am trying to tell you that it's not something that they can avoid. It's a part That's of the medium that is... It's a joke within the medium that will always be there because of the fact that it's the medium they work with. Fine. I'm, that, that's just how it works. Fine. But that's all I have to say, is that it's a joke that will continue to work. It's a joke that will continue to happen whether writers yeah, want to. continue to happen, not continue to work. Not work. <laughs> it will continue to happen because of what the writers have decided to work with. Yeah. But, yeah. Um... So then we also have uh, Cameron, 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 fuck, Cameron, and um, so he's definitely a villain. I don't know yet. I Disney know Channel yet. original movie. Think about it like a Disney Channel original movie. Yeah, definitely getting, uh, getting weird vibes from the other one for sure. Oh, I think he's a villain. If you follow the Disney Channel original movie structure, then you have to know that. The guy, the love interest of the main character that shows up is the villain. But you also gotta remember that the underling typically isn't a villain the whole way through in these kinds of movies as well. He could turn. He could turn. But he's still an antagonist. Sure. I think he... I don't think he's the main villain, if that's what you're saying. But no, 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 I no, think no. he will be a villain. Like, I, like, you're talking about the vibes you get from when those two pick her up to begin with. Oh, no, no. I was talking about from the very fucking beginning. Look at him. He's jacked, but he's not a jock. Villain! Think about this from a Disney Channel original movie perspective. You're, me for, you're punishing me for being right. 
Exactly. You're punishing me for being Listen, right. <laughs> if we go through this, if you go through this, then the only people that have any right to be jacked in Disney Channel original movies are athletes. He is not an athlete, and he's jacked, thus villain. Because the only other people allowed to be muscular in these movies are villains! Oh, come on. This movie, ha or this this show has a bigger budget, but a little more faith into it. No, no, no. It's not about the budget. It's about the vibes. Villain! <laughs> this is straight villain. He's a villain. He is a villain. You know what? You can put your cards on that one. I'm, I'm... He is a villain. And I feel like his character arc is going to be how it always is in a Disney Channel but I will movie. Say, I will say something that points to, to, uh, to your argument. Is that it seems like their relationship grows a little too fast, don't you think? One thing I notice is when her brother and his... Um, his uh, fiance comes in. He puts his hand on her, on her hand, and on first look, you think, "Oh, like, ha <laughs> flirty." I think he was feeling if the bangle was there. It was the hand that it was the arm I that mean, her it, bangle was there. It would make sense considering that. I mean, let's be fair. Given the implications from the ending of the show, he would know from the very beginning. Yeah. And also, I think it is not a coincidence that he zeroed in on her, despite the fact that Nakia, Nakia, was, was, Nakia was there, but Nakia seemed to be the one more interested in a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Or she was definitely more upfront, because let's f yeah. face it, uh, Kamala was definitely more nervous than her. Exactly. So, no. Villain. He is a villain. Disney Channel original movie formula dictates he is villain. Okay. He will most likely, how it will work is that um, Kamala is going to join him and um, the Najima. He's going to join the two of them because she's going to feel like this is an aspect of her world that she felt that was locked away from her, from her family. So she's going to join them, but then she's going to realize, oh, these people are kind of fucked. And then it's going to cause the division. Because that's how this always works. And also I'm fairly confident that's how it worked in the comics. Okay. Um, if anything, from the comics, he's most likely going to be the character Red Dagger. Hmm. And um, I am still on the train that these people are inhumans. Well, I actually want to touch on that because... Somehow, um, I'm going to let this slide just because it's established that Bruno is a tech genius, but it's established that she has energy readings that come from within her and not the bangles. Yeah. So, inhuman. I think she's an inhuman. It, it, based on the implications set in that episode with uh, Bruno scanning her energy to see where like the origin of her power comes from, she's got to be an inhuman. Yeah, for for sure. Like, ever since I first saw how they were showing off her powers, where they're like, oh, she's not actually, like, a, like b making her arms bigger. It's all going to be, like, a Green Lantern type thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. The ending of this is she's actually going to make her hands bigger. Yeah, especially, like, where else, what else can you think from that? But, like, that line itself only leads you to think in one way. And also, the other aspect of it is that it seems to be genetic because her great-grandmother also seemed to have this power. Yeah, no, and 
the way that her parent or like that her relatives talked about her great grandmother, it's kind of the same with Inhumans, honestly. Yeah, no, she's definitely Inhuman. Um, because think about it, like it was. I'm trying to think back to Agents of Shield. What Inhumans were like treated that way in um. I'm trying to think, but season one and two of... It's uh, not season one and two, it's seasons three and four. Three and four. What elements, of, or what characters in seasons three and four got that much vitriol from their relatives? I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think. Uh, I feel it like... wasn't from their... Well, there was... So there was that one... Were they Indian or Middle Eastern? The 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 Middle Eastern girl that joins the Watchdogs and her brother is an right. inhuman. Right, and that's the it, one I'm it leads about. into that one plot point that they never solve, where he goes through Second Terra Genesis and they never resolve it. That's right. That's the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, I knew there was an element because whenever I think of that, the easiest thing you can go to is the mutants. But the Inhumans also went through that. As yeah, well. no, the Inhumans went through it. It was with the Watchdogs and how um uh, what was it Jeffrey Mace? He wanted he pretended to be an inhuman so he could streamline inhuman tolerance right and so um yeah no they're definitely inhumans i think cameron is also an inhuman maybe i think he is if he's going to be red dagger then he's definitely going to be an inhuman. so what's his power um in the comics it is creating energy like imbuing himself in energy and if he imbues an object with energy it explodes oh so it's just Killer Queen. Yeah. It's just Killer Queen with Stray Cat. Cool. Mm -hmm. So I think he's an inhuman. I think her family, I think everyone on her mom's side is inhuman, but it's just that only her great-grandmother and her have been on, have um, unlocked their powers. And I do believe that the Bengals do have Terrigen Mist inside and that the Bengal will break and she will undergo Terrigenesis. Yeah, no, I believe you on that. I believe that 100%. I believe that she is an inhuman. No one will tell me otherwise. I do not think this is them trying to introduce mutants. I do think this is them trying to reintroduce mutants. And I believe the the appearance of Black Bolt in Multiverse of Madness was supposed to set you up for this. Uh, you said it reintroduced mutants. You meant inhumans. Inhumans, yes. Although, have real people really been talking about reintroducing mutants? I mean, obviously... Everyone's been talking about the the idea of reintroducing mutants, or more as Miss oh, Marvel. No, 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 no. No one has talked about it. Okay, but some people could say it as a refutation to the Inhuman and say maybe it's mutants. No, it's fucking Inhumans. Yeah. Okay. I was just wearing, wondering because you pointed that out kind of kind of explicitly. No, but yeah, no. She's definitely an Inhuman. She's definitely going to go undergo Terragenesis by the end of this, and um, I believe the Marvels is going to focus on the creed because i do believe secret invasion is going to tie into the marvels and it's going to focus on the at this point i believe a new a newer hot war between the kree and scrolls okay because um from what it sounds like from what secret invasion is going to be is that a contingent of scrolls have infiltrated earth and it seems that they infiltrated earth around the time of the snap which we know which would make sense and it would make sense that the kree would be you know in decline considering they lost their they lost the war with xandar um they lost they lost ronin they lost korath um and they kind of just fell to the backdrop 
um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continues with the Kree, and now people may say Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't canon, but I believe that it is. And because of that, we see further throughout Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that the Kree aren't necessarily doing too well on the galactic stage. By the time of Thanos' invasion, they're scared shitless. Yeah, they liter- they literally imbue a human with complete like complete overload of gravitonium because it's their last result, almost ending in the destruction of Earth. Yeah, so um, they were scared shitless of Thanos, and then the snap happened, which most which most definitely destroyed their empire. And now that their empire is back, they're probably in decline because I'm going to be honest with you, I believe uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to show that there's going to be a new galactic powerhouse, and it's not the Kree. Yeah, <clears throat> which is probably like... And as, as well as Nova. Okay. Yeah, because I, desi- uh, I desperately desire more of an expansion on the Kree-Scroll War because that is a prominent thing in the comics, and unfortunately in captain marvel it was kind of barely touched on yeah and i think that's because we didn't get to see any malevolent scrolls yeah which i believe secret invasion is going to show us malevolent scrolls yeah at least i would hope so i kind of i kind of didn't like the idea of having a kree scroll war but then only showing the scrolls as victims because that kind of makes it seem less of a war and more like an invasion. Or even a genocide, honestly. Exactly. Which I feel is not accurate. Yeah. I mean, that that decision in Captain Marvel was more made as a, like a subversion of expectations. Oh, yeah. It was... I feel like it's starting to get to the point, like, if it goes the way that you described, that ultimately that decision in that movie will ultimately harm the longevity of that, like... Yeah. Of, like, the relation to the comics. Exactly. But we'll see <clears throat> We'll see how it goes. But I am convinced that this is all leading to an Inhuman slash Cosmic Kree plotline. Because at the end of the day, Inhumans were meant to be super soldiers that the Kree would use in their empire. Yeah. And there is actually a comic book storyline where the Inhuman royal family took over the entire Kree empire. Now, I do not think that's going to happen in the MCU, but I am saying that the Inhumans do have a strong connection to the Kree outside of just being their super soldiers. Now, I'm not caught up with the Inhuman show at all. Are they still stuck on that moon? What do you mean stuck? That's their home. Yeah, are they still on that moon? I think so. I didn't watch Inhumans, but I'm pretty sure they are. Okay. Because the thing is, is that there's, um, there's a whole dichotomy that the fans have created where you have the inhumans which is the inhuman royal family on adelan which is the moon and then you have um the new humans which are the inhumans that uh, came through terra genesis after the terrigen bomb went off during the infinity storyline where thanos came to earth to look for his son that he had with an inhuman woman and so he said told black bolt that you will give me all of your children and so i can kill them so i can kill my son or i will kill all of you and the children so then black bolt set off the terrigen bomb which then released terrigenesis across the planet so that even if thanos killed everyone there inhumans would constantly rise up and so inhumans would constantly live Jonathan Hickman is an insane madman, but it works, trust me. I don't. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman is insane, but he's a genius. 
as all of this contributes to the wider storyline that inevitably leads up to Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah. No. It is also in that same comic book story is the scene that I told you about Ronan and Thor. Where right. it's in that, it's the same, that same series has that scene. Okay. Because um, how it works is that the, the Avengers get called to help their allies in space. And during that time, Thanos and the Black Order come and besiege Earth looking for his son, Thane. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, his his name is fucking Thane. <laughs> we kind of had to name him that and not Thawne. No, it's Thane. <laughs> it's like, if you were Thanos' son, what would you name yourself? Thane. Literally anything else! Thane. So, yeah, it, it his name is fucking Thane. It's really fucking dumb. But he is an inhuman. And while I do not think we're getting Thane, I do think that we are leading into a the, the space side of the MCU. Which uh -huh. I think will begin with Thor Love and Thunder and the Guardians Galaxy Volume 3. And I think we'll really kick off with the Marvels. Yeah. You think the Marvels is going to primarily take uh, part... Or take place in space rather than Earth? Because it kind of yes. has to, No, right? I think it's primarily taking place in space. That's going to be a lot of whiplash for Kamala. Yeah, is or, that Kamala? Kamala? I'm starting to do it too, I swear. Yeah. I'm starting to do it too. You're, yeah. you're brain poisoning me right now. You're <laughs> poisoning yeah. my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Kamala. Um, yes, I think it's going to be a huge whiplash for her. But also for Monica as well, because she hasn't gone to space. Yes, she has. Monica? Oh, wait. Maria did. Maria did, yes. Monica stayed at home. Wait. Wait. No. She was called to space in at the end of WandaVision. Oh, right. She did end up going to that space station at the end. Yeah, no. She was called to, into space. They both have gone to space. Yeah, never mind. I forgot <laughs> about the WandaVision post credit scene. Yeah, never mind. So... Yeah, 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 no, the only person going to be experiencing whiplash is uh, Kamala. Thank you. <laughs> but, not, well, yeah, the, before this derails into a complete the Marvel speculation, um, I really like this episode. I really like what they're doing with Nakia because in the comics she is a, um activist, and they're keeping that with this character. Because, like, ultimately she wants to take part in, like, like the mini electoralism that's going on at her mosque because, like, Obviously, like you have the divide between men and, um, women. Men and women, men going on the uh, restrooms in in the mosque not being up to up to standard, and the women's room they've got. Although, is that I'm not aware much of like Muslim standards. Is that something that they typically do have? Um, yes, men in the front and women in the back. Yes, that is a thing that is done both in the Muslim faith as well as more Orthodox Jewish faiths. Okay, having a section for men and a section for women. Has that caused more derision as far as like people like people are like uh fundamentalist muslim faith like criticizing the show for criticizing that element of it i have not seen that most muslims that i've seen have seen have said that the mosque scene seems to be pretty accurate in the terms of the fact that the men's section is usually more pristine in a lot of mosques compared to the women's section yeah. and i'm speaking more of an element like oh the like they're trying to fix this as a part of like 
this part of our religion type thing like i i haven't seen that it's probably out there because there's been i've noticed a notable uptick in um and i'll talk about this more when we talk about young justice notable uptick in fundamentalist muslim conservative shitting on any modern depiction of islam that isn't just the most fundamentally conservative one but um, I really like her character. I really like what they're doing. And I really like how they didn't go with the whole, like... Because you know how a lesser show would just go Islam bad? Like, yeah. Islam bad for women. Women have no place in Islam. You, uh, right. you know how a lesser show would do that? Yeah. This show completely subverts that, where both Kamala and Nakia seem pretty strong in their Muslim faith, and it does not look like they are ever going to renounce that, and that they actually take a lot of comfort in it, especially um, Nakia being um, mixed. Yeah, with her being an activist, and what's it called? Like, obviously she's got to be a left-leaning activist. Like, what people, like, it kind of goes over people's head, like, there are people who are like sound in their religion who are on the left exactly and people just integrate their their beliefs and it still works for them they still exactly they still love their god but all but how do i word this properly they love their religion they love their god but they are also able to use that as motivation to promote activist policies there we go thank you yeah and i really like that and i really like how we are and i hope the show continues I hope the show ends with both Kamala and Nakia still being devout Muslims. I doubt that the show will uh, will stray from that. I hope it does not, because I really like that idea. I really like that these are characters that are allowed to stay Muslim, because lesser shows would have, would have had those characters either betray their religion or try to portray their religion as just not for girls, which I believe is inherently harmful, as these religions, while... The texts of them and at their most fundamentalist can be very harmful to women there is a level of comfort that a religion can bring to anyone yeah definitely without a doubt also um what was i gonna say um i also liked how uh, nakia she um uh, she she cornered our woke king yusuf in like oh i feel so bad for him he was like a deer in the headlights where he's like of course i support you and kamala and he was like so you'll roll for me and it's like oh, you, you oh. wouldn't crush a girl's dreams would you and i'm like oh god oh god <laughs> not our woke king don't put our woke king in the corner like this i fucking love yusuf oh god yusuf <laughs> khan is the best character in the show hands down but like the sudden twist of like uh, Nakia realizing, oh, politics is so dirty, and then using like really like yeah like manipulative tactics on him. I loved it. <laughs> oh my god, his reactions were amazing. I also like the different clicks that they showed because it is actually pretty reflective. Oh, it of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, so the the Insta kids, which of course it had to be a dumbass Insta kid that nearly gets himself killed, and he's like, <laughs> "Why did I even do this?" And it's like, "Yeah, dumbass. Why would you take a picture?" It actually kind. Of, so I've been um, reading uh, Game of Thrones lately, uh-huh. and it reminds me of when Bran is um he's like trying to hear all the gossip that's going on between uh, that the lannisters are talking about his family and it ends with him like like um looking like peering through and seeing who's talking and he sees the twins cersei and jamie lannister fucking 
and they catch him. And so he nearly falls trying to scramble away. And so then Jamie picks him up and it's like, oh God, thank God I'm safe. And then Jamie throws him out the window. So he like saves him and then he throws him out the window and he ends up in a coma. Sounds about right for Game of Thrones. Yes, but that kind of reminded me that 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 scene just kind of reminded me about Bran. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds about right. Yes. But fucking hell. But um yeah, no, the insta-kid, the 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 revert, which is just the white people. And I love how they made because the thing is is I so Bruno clearly is not Muslim, but the I really like the fact that he is accepted in the Muslim community wholeheartedly yeah. by everyone because I think that is more accurate to how Islam is in America than people think it is. A lot of people feel that Islam is the one religion that you can't get into as a layman compared to, say, Christianity and Judaism, which is just patently false. Yeah. If you if you look back through history, especially during the golden age of Islam, Islam is very open to having anybody be a member of the faith. And so, or just participate within the faith's, like, you know, cultural events. So having Bruno not only address in you know what more traditional muslim garb but one being accepted by kamala's family but just the muslim community at large to be at the eid festival was really good yep yep without a doubt i also like how they specify that it's eid mubarak which is the lesser eid versus um i forgot what the greater eid is the greater eid is the one that happened recently this year lesser eid is happening later this year i believe okay so i really like that as well so as far as what our final rating of the show is i'd give it a 7.5 honestly i'd give it another eight yeah it was really good i, I just really like the vibe of this show amon Vellani is acting her ass off in this show and honestly, it shows re remember the rumors were like they were kind of disappointed with her performance at the beginning of filming. Yeah. I don't see that here. I don't know how anybody... She is acting her ass off in this show. She and it is paying off so well. Yeah. If this is supposed to be her low point in acting for the series, I'd love to see the high point because this shit's amazing. Yeah. She is pulling this off so well. I, in fact, I believe all the actors are doing well. Um, in fact, the actor that plays Yusuf is actually a pretty prominent, like, South Asian actor. Oh, really? Yeah, he's really prominent, and people, like, really love him, and he is also acting his ass off. Like, the way he plays Yusuf is so fucking good. I oh. love it so much. This show is filled with just great acting across the board, and it's just really fun. I have fun watching this show. I really like it. I cannot wait for the next couple episodes. This is a six-episode series, right? I believe so. Yeah. So we got four more episodes, but it's looking really good. All right. So that, with that all being said, we can wrap this uh, segment up in a nice bow. Yep. Let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. Let's go ahead and begin our conversation on Kenobi. Yes. So Kenobi episode five has come out. It is the Jeez, that is penul penultimate episode to this season. I cannot believe that we're already at episode five. To I know. think that. Oh my god. Releasing two episodes in the first week really screwed like screwed me up as far as keeping track of the show. Yeah, it is really, it's really gone by fast compared to the other shows, which I actually do appreciate. Yeah, but um, this episode was amazing. Yeah, it for one, it really shows 
the dichotomy between the light side and the dark side and what truly fuels them, which is the light side is genuinely at its best fueled through altruism, yeah. while the dark side is truly fueled by selfish, by selfishness. Yes. And I really like seeing that Vader in this episode was just... I, I've seen a lot of Star Wars fans say this, and I'm inclined to agree, but ever since the Disney buyout, Vader has become a phenomenal character. Honestly, like, he was good in the EU, but the Disney version of Vader is honestly one of the best incarnations of Vader. So, I want to go through that, because we get Rogue One. He, like, we know the scene, where he's, like, that was, like, just complete fan service, but it, like ultimately showed oh yeah no vader is a badass and uh he will kill your entire fleet if he so wants to yeah and then we come to now where he literally stops a ship in midair tears it apart just based on pure rage alone exactly even in star wars rebels star wars rebels vader is terrifying he doesn't show up much in rebels but whenever he does show up in rebels you're like they're fucked they're fucked I, I was... Also, in Jedi Fallen Order, when he shows up in Fallen Order, when you face Darth Vader, he does not have a health bar. <laughs> uh, Your objective isn't to beat him. Your objective is to fucking run. You do not beat Vader in that game. When you fight Vader, your objective is survive. There is no health bar because there is no way you're killing him. So I do want to say one thing. Like, as the episodes progressed, I'm like, okay, this show is treating Vader really well. But why did we have to bring Hayden Christensen back? And then this episode proves why we had to. Exactly. So I will say, seeing an older Hayden, Hayden. or Hayden Christensen, a little jarring, but I'll It was a it. little jarring to have an older Hayden Christian play a younger version of Anakin because, than because the he, one he played back in Attack of the Clones. Because he plays, like based on the hairstyle we're given, that takes place before Revenge of the Sith and, like, around the era of Attack of the Clones. It's before Attack of the Clones because he still has his right hand. So this yeah. is before Dooku cut it off. Exactly, yeah. So this is supposed to technically be younger than the version we saw in Attack of the Clones. Yes. Which, seeing the older Hayden was a bit jarring, like, but it seeing, still works. Seeing an older Hayden not have the longer hair, it was like... Like, they could have gotten away with giving him longer hair and say, oh... This is a just this is just right before Revenge of the Sith, Anakin. Well, but, but it wouldn't make sense though because he's already a Jedi Knight. He wouldn't need to be training anymore because he got promoted to a Jedi Knight very soon after Attack of the Clones. By the time the Clone Wars begins and the Clone Wars takes place, Star Wars: The Clone Wars, the show and movie, that takes place canonically about a month after Attack of the Clones. And he's promoted to Knight within that month. Yeah. So it would I, only make sense to be Attack of the Clones or sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Because the main point of that scene is not really to train him in sword fighting. It's more to deal with, like, his, like, like the balance within him. Yeah. So I will say that that part was a little bit jarring, but that scene, like, seeing Hayden Christensen act good knowing the rest of his career. <laughs> See, the thing is, is, it's not that Hayden Christensen was a bad actor. He was given bad material. Oh, no, I'm just talking about his career in general. Not not just with Star Wars. I mean, yes, I mean, I'm gonna say this. <laughs> Have you seen the movie Jumper? You've talked to me about this before. Yes. Listen, Jumper is a shit movie, but Hayden Christensen is the best part of Jumper. Oh, 
I'll take your word on that. Trust me on this. Like, <laughs> I have seen Jumper. I think Jumper is a shit movie. I have watched it at least four times, which is four times too many. How much alcohol was in your system? I watched Jumper. The four times I watched Jumper was before I ever turned 18. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> no, no, this is intervention level. Listen, of... listen. It's a terrible movie, but Hayden Christensen is good in it. You could have been watching better bad movies. You could have dedicated that time to something else. Hayden Christensen was good, okay? He was good in a very shit movie. Anyways! But yeah, to see him actually, like, he was doing pretty good. Like, I will say, like, in the prequels, his best acting is when he's angry. Yes. And so seeing a non-angry Anakin act well was really good. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of, um, this show's like a precursor to how he is in the Clone Wars in terms of his characterization, because he is that cocky within the Clone Wars, but he's less cocky about getting, of defeating someone in combat, which um, I think is one, because that scene of him being cocky yeah. about in combat culminates in him losing his arm against Count Dooku, because throughout Clone Wars and into Revenge of the Sith, we see that Anakin is deadly serious at all times, and he stops being cocky in lightsaber duels. When he fights Count Dooku in his rematch during um, Revenge of the Sith, he is not cocky. He is focused, and he is determined, but he's not like, I can beat you, I'm better than you, I'm gonna make taunts the whole time. Yeah. He's not like that anymore. Now I want to see justification for bringing him in outside of flashbacks, which well, I think I, it, it's going to happen. It's going to be very difficult to do. I think it's because of his man. If you've noticed, one thing you should take note of is the mannerisms that Vader has in this. Like most versus... likely, that's him in that suit. Do you think? No. You don't it, think so? No, it's been confirmed. It's someone else in oh, there. Oh, really? Because it's... the mannerisms are really good for him. Well, that's the thing. That's the point. Hayden yeah. Christensen does the mannerisms, but the guy that inevitably... So, what I mean is this. In the suit is him, sometimes, but any action scene is a stunt oh, double. Okay, that okay, that's that's perfect then. Yeah, no, no, I'm talking about the fight scenes as well, because the fight no, scenes... His all... acting, I wanted him in there. Yeah, no, he's in the suit for the acting. Okay, you worried me for a second there. <laughs> yeah, no, but there is a stunt double that does all the fight scenes, but That's that stunt double mir mirrors Hayden's mannerisms in fights as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, Hayden is really good. You can see Vader's mannerisms are more Hayden-esque yeah. than how he is in um, A New Hope, because in A New Hope he's fully matured in the dark side. This is while he's most definitely far and away the most powerful dark side user, user in the galaxy, sans Palpatine, he's still... Not there. Now, yeah. the other thing I want to point out about this episode was actually giving really good characterization for Reva. Because yes. up until this point, her character has only served the purpose of antagonist, revenge plot, go. Here, we actually get her motivation, her, um, her like, more deep dive into her backstory. And you were right. She was one of the children that, yep. that was shown in the flashback in episode one. Yep, she was one of those children. And I know some people have been memeing about the fact where she's like, where were you? And people are like, well, he was getting attacked. No, that's not what she meant. When she said, where were you? 
It was, where were you with him? How could you let him fall to the dark side? And even without that explanation, she was a child when that happened. Exactly. That's, that's, uh... And that's rage that's been bewing in her ever since she was a child. Exactly. Do you think that rage has any, like, like foundation to grow from, like, introduce, it, like, like anything any... rational? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's no, not supposed to be rational. No, it's supposed to be something that has been in, with her for more than half of her life. And, let's face it, that's been driving her ever since, and now she's an inquisitor. Yeah. Like, um, her, I, her uh, feelings have been... Like, up to this point, her feelings that she currently has are completely rational because the feelings she's had literally drove her to success in the Empire. Exactly. Um, one thing I do want to say that is completely unrelated is um, we are currently having a thunderstorm, so if the stream goes out, that is why. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, that does look like it can knock out our electricity. Anyway, moving on. Yes, <laughs> but, um, yeah. And I really like that she pointed out that, like, yeah, no, you failed him which if you go back and watch episode two all of clone wars and episode three yeah no obi-wan fails him because there are so many red flags as to anakin falling to the dark side most especially the biggest red flag about him falling to the dark side is the mortis trilogy of episodes which is probably some of the most important episodes of all of star wars as it deals with um what is the force what is the light side, the dark side? What is the force and all that it is? And that the Mortis trilogy of episodes was actually the inspiration originally for the original plot of The Rise of Skywalker. In The Rise of Skywalker, the main villain wasn't originally going to be Palpatine. <laughs> it was going to be the Sun, who is one of the three Mortis force entities known as the Father, the Son, and the Daughter. And um, the Sun, who was the representative of the dark side, and, um, yeah, he was originally going to be the main villain of Rise of Skywalker, which, to be honest, between the Sun and Palpatine, I'm glad they went with Palpatine, Honestly, because no one knows who the fuck the Sun is. Yeah, no, general audiences wouldn't understand who that is. Like, you don't know who the fuck the Sun is! Yeah, yeah, I'm speaking for everyone here when I say, yeah, no one would know who he is, because only, like, <laughs> the big Star Wars nerds know anything about Clone Wars. Yeah, but also, I feel, from, as a Clone Wars fan, um... No, it would make no sense that the Sun is the mastermind yeah. behind all of this, given his characterization in Clone Wars. Have you read, um, I haven't done it myself, but have you looked- ah, Yes, finally. Um, Storm is dying down a bit. Hopefully we do not get knocked out. If we do get knocked out again, we will just record it off stream and then upload an edited version of all of our segments together. But as it stands right now, we are back. All right, we pretty much just left off on us talking about uh, Hayden's performance in the show, but I think we can move on beyond that. Um, yes. Um, as far as the story beats itself... Uh, rest in peace, Ned B. Best yeah. droid. Passed <laughs> away. He died in the same way a K2SO died in Rogue One. Yeah. Yep. Also, uh, Tala... Tala went out pretty well. Yeah. Her death flags were, were always there. Yeah, yeah. Considering that she kind of almost narrowly escaped dying in the previous episode. Yeah, it makes sense. So, um... Yeah, but... The way she went out was pretty good. Thermal detonator. Um... What was I gonna say? 
I do like, um, it was kind of framed, and I think this was done entirely on purpose. The same, um, when Reva and the, um, all the Stormtroopers and Purge Troopers showed up to the bunker, I believe it was intentionally framed like how it was in The Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah. So, I do want to point out one thing, is like, Obi-Wan took on a lot of people. Like in like that came, or a lot of stormtroopers that came in. Mm-hmm. My thought was, if anybody complains about uh, Obi Wan being able to defend against this many stormtroopers, have clearly not played a Star Wars game. Not just have not played a Star Wars game, has just not seen Star Wars: The Clone Wars. <laughs> this episode was a return to form for the meme General Kenobi. <laughs> General Kenobi. But yes, no, this was definitely a return to form for his general side with his military planning, which was always top-notch in Star Wars The Clone Wars, and it seems that he still retained that edge even now, yeah. which was really good. Because I better not see anybody complaining about... I mean, yeah, he's, like, a little rusty, but at the same time, I mean, come on. You like, any, really anybody, like, the whole time through that scene, I was like, oh yeah, playing a Star Wars character, I could take them all. Yeah. I, can, I can take them. <laughs> like, yeah, a whole, mo- uh, like, a whole, like, group of stormtroopers just come racing in. Oh, yeah, that's easy. I, yeah. That, that's an easy level. <laughs> but it was really good. I really like how they trapped them into a bottleneck, which made it more, which made it easier. That's what would make it easy. I mean, honestly, in, like, it made open it, space. Yeah, it made it easier for, one, the, the refugees to fight, but, two... Even when they got injured, it was easier for them to fall back without getting, like, hails of gunfire. Yeah. Um, one thing that I also really liked was how he... Man- I hate to say this, but he manipulated Reva so hard. Yeah. yeah. He, he straight up just manipulated her hardcore. I mean, it was like, all the truth. <laughs> like, he straight up was just like, so I'm gonna give you what you want. But I know damn well you're gonna lose badly and maybe die but that's not my problem (laughs) but it was really good i like how he did deduce the fact that the reason why she would know that he's darth vader is because she's at the temple which i think makes was the was the one that made the most sense because any survivor would know that um he was called lord vader during that time and um he, he looked exactly like anakin skywalker and of course if you work for the empire and you just see this guy be like Lord Vader. You're gonna be like, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> so I really like that because that was the whole thing. That's the whole part of his character. Is like he's this towering menace that has no face. Mm-hmm. And so for someone to know who he is, that's a big deal. Yeah, he usually kills most people that come close to finding out who he is. I think right now in the comics, the only person that knows who he is is um. Do you remember the body double that she has, that Padme has during the prequels? Yeah. She knows. And the only reason she's alive is because currently her and Vader's goals align. That she is, he is allowing her to live. But as soon as those goals do not align, he will kill her for knowing his identity. (laughs) Yeah. Not even like that one stormtrooper in the EU that decided to become his friend. They, he killed him. Oh, he did kill him? Okay. Yeah. I'm no, vaguely aware of that of that story. It was either he killed him or he died. He's dead. He died. Okay. okay, he's dead. He's de- I don't think Vader killed him. I think he just died. Okay. But, um, yeah, no. no, no. Yeah, no, I think back on that storyline because it is the funniest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> like it, it, in canon, um, Tarkin and Thrawn believe that it's Anakin because of certain mannerisms and maneuvers he's done, which they only have seen Anakin Skywalker do. They believe that Darth Vader's Anakin, but they don't have solid proof. Okay. Um, the Padme's body double knows. I believe Dr. Afra, who is um, an archaeologist slash smuggler of sorts, I think she may know. And I think that's about it. Obviously, Bail Organa knows. Obviously, Yoda knows. Obviously, Bail Organa's wife knows. Um, Owen knows. So no, Owen doesn't know. No, he know. wouldn't know. He no, would Owen doesn't know. know. No, Owen doesn't know. But, and really, um, this whole show is to get to the point where Obi Wan will find out, which of course happened in Episode Two. Yeah. So yeah, um, one thing that I really liked about the Reva versus Vader fight scene was that she stood no chance so badly that he never used his own lightsaber. Like, honestly, that was the most I've seen the Force use in an actual fight. It was devastating because i mean you can be as good as a, with a you can be as good as, as a, with a lightsaber as humanly possible but it's clear that with how much uh like like ease that he's able to manipulate the force with she knew, stood no chance whatsoever no and she went through every phase of that lightsaber she went from single to double bladed to, to spinning the, to the fucking helicopter saber. To the spinning bladed and the dual wielding form and she lost every single one. I will say I'm glad that the helicopter saber was only there for three seconds just to be utterly tra uh, just trampled on. Yeah, no. Because she... that didn't serve her in the fight any better because it is. Oh, of course. It, it is a dumb design. I mean, the point of it is it's supposed to... make to... them fly. No. The point of it isn't to make them fly. The point of it is that you can't parry it. If it's spinning that fast with your lightsaber, it's going to push so much pressure on you that you drop the lightsaber. And then it just spins through you like a saw blade. Yeah, okay. But anyways, um, yeah, she got absolutely destroyed. And it was amazing. <laughs> Once again, showing that Vader is not one to be trifled with. That these Inquisitors are just not even close to being on his level. Yeah. whatsoever i mean i mean she wasn't even that strong to begin with honestly because i mean we haven't even seen her in a single lightsaber duel i mean just through implication from the uh, from the oh other yeah brothers. from the others it was implied that she's just not strong in the slightest because the other brothers have been like oh yeah you're you're, you're just a street rat you we found you in the gutters yeah which makes you're sense. nothing to us because unlike the rest of them who were all jedi knights or Jedi Masters who had fallen to the dark side, Reva was a youngling, meaning she never even got to the Padawan stage of her training. Because here's the thing, if you make it to the Padawan level of your training, you can be a good duelist. Cal Kestis and Kanan Jarrus are two of the greatest, are two very good um, Jedi duelists, and they are only Padawan level in their training. Being Padawan level means you can... I mean, technically Ahsoka Tano as well. Ahsoka never technically gets past the Padawan level, but she is undeniably one of the best lightsaber duelists in the galaxy. Yeah. And so it's... But the fact that she didn't even make it to that level really shows how inexperienced she is. How, like, her usage of the Force is also just not good. I mean, we saw it against Leia. She could 
she couldn't pull off a move that Kylo Ren was effortlessly trying to use. Like, it clearly took her a lot of concentration, and she was just... She couldn't break through Leia. All of her Force skills that we've seen have been rudimentary at best. She was completely outclassed. Yeah, I mean, the one thing carrying her is her rage. Yep, that's, which, the, that's the one thing that powers her through. <laughs> which is good when you're a Darksider, but rage will only take you so far without the skill to back it up. And unfortunately, when you're fighting another Darkside, rage doesn't help you because they're all angry all <laughs> the time. When you fight, when Darksiders fight, you, rage doesn't necessarily work all the time because everyone in that fight is angry all the fucking time. Especially because, uh, yeah, you backstabbed Vader. Um, yeah, he just got he just got a massive uh, Saiyan like boost there. I'm, not I'm... even that. Like to be honest, Darth Vader did not care that Reva betrayed him because that is the point of all the Inquisitors. All the Inquisitors inevitable, like the inevitable point of the Inquisitors is to try and kill Vader so they can become the new apprentice. So her trying to kill him at that point isn't what surprised him or disappointed him. The problem. And I don't think he ever was angry at her because he expected it. It's more that's just like her rage will just never match the rage that he feels at the loss of his wife, the loss of his children, the fact that he believes his master betrayed him, that his order betrayed him, that his Padawan is gone because Yeah, I was more talking about his rage towards Obi-Wan. It's not even it's not even just towards Obi-Wan. It's a culmination of things. His mother is dead. I, I would say that the biggest thing in that moment though no, his rage is constantly focused. Whenever you see Vader, his rage at the forefront of his mind at every moment, every waking moment, is the fact that he lost Padme. That is always at the forefront of his mind before anything else. Always. And then the tear goes from Padme to Obi-Wan betrayed him, to he lost his children, to... The Jedi betrayed him, to he lost Ahsoka, to... Actually, he lost his mother is probably in the top three as well, but... There's a laundry list of things that have contributed to him falling to the dark side, and those things are always at the forefront of his brain at every point in time. Not to mention his pain... Not to mention that his suit is incredibly painful. Oh, yeah, like he... Like, it's actually, like digs into him as yeah. shown in the first episode it only it also like kind of constricts his movement a bit yeah no it does constrict his movement it is incredibly painful his existence is a constant state of pain and agony which only makes him more angry which will only remind him more of the fact that obi-wan betrayed him and remind him more of the fact that at mustafar he lost padme like it's a it's a feedback loop of rage meaning that Really, no one will ever be more angry than he is, except for Palpatine. But that's because Palpatine has just sheer and utter contempt for life as it is. <laughs> well, that's the only level of rage that Vader can't beat, is Palpatine's sheer contempt for any sentient being to really just live. Yeah. But all the other Inquisitors can't match that rage. So Reva's Rave, rage at revenge is literally nothing to him. Which is why he just effortlessly just batters her all over the place. And then, of course, the Grand Inquisitor returns, which obviously we, he returns. We, we saw that coming. I mean, if you watched Rebels, you know he's alive. And also, it was noted that Utapawans, which he is an Utapawan, have two stomachs, so... 
And also the actor that plays him told, said on Jimmy Kimmel that he had two stomachs, so. Yeah. He, he, he's alive. But yeah, he's alive, and obviously he's taken back his position because, let's be honest here, in a fair fight, the Grand Inquisitor would beat the shit out of Reva. He yeah. was a former Jedi Temple Guard. He is the most powerful of the Inquisitors and the only one that could, in some level, rival Vader, but not by much. He was just better than the other Inquisitors. So if he fought Rava in a straight fight, he, he would beat the shit out of Rava. Yeah. And honestly, like, as soon as you see, like, oh, Vader just promotes her just like that, it's like, he knows something. Oh, yeah, no. He, here's he, the, like... Every Darksider knows that the uh, that the Darksider next to them will betray them at any point. So they are always on edge about it. Yeah. Even the Grand Inquisitor, he got caught by surprise, but he was not surprised that it happened. Because, I mean, look at him that he's back. He's just like, yeah, you did do that, but I don't care. Like, every Darksider knows that the Darksider next to them is trying to kill them. So, even when he promotes her to Grand Inquisitor, he's like, yeah, I'm doing this, but you will still try and kill me at some point. It's just a matter of whether it's sooner or later. And I really like that they showed that, because that is why the Rule of Two was instituted to begin with by Darth Bane all those years ago. Because when there was giant Sith Orders that rivaled the Jedi Order in terms of numbers, they constantly fell apart because, you know... They all would kill each other because that's the point of the dark side. That's why Bane created the Rule of Two. A master to have the power and the apprentice to desire that power. So inevitably, the apprentice would kill the master and obtain the power, and then the master would take on a new apprentice who would then covet that power. With the stipulation that every time an apprentice kills the master, they not only are more powerful than their master in the Force, but their knowledge of the Force and of the galactic state, or, or of the state of the galaxy, is also increasing. That's why Palpatine is so powerful by the movies, especially even by the Rise of Skywalker, why he's so powerful. He's come from a long line of very amped up Siths, and he is the most amped of them all. Yeah. Anyway, just think it's about time to wrap things up here. Yeah. Um. Uh. I like seeing Haja return. Yes. Yes. Especially after literally that same day, kidding referenced in Miss Marvel. Yes. <laughs> Kumail Nanjiani is. Um. He is definitely getting those Disney paychecks. <laughs> but um. I like seeing Haja. Leia in this episode was pretty good. Yeah. I liked how she basically became um. Her the scene of her crawling through reminds me of Lego Star Wars and how you have to switch to like a smaller Lego character to get into vents. And I was like, oh my god. And um, yeah, I also liked how they used restraining bolts and that's how they controlled uh, Lola because that would make sense. That's what happened back in um, the original trilogy. Yep. But oh yeah, overall I'd give this episode about a 7.5 out of 10. Yep, 7 for me. Yeah, pretty good episode. Yep, so... Now we'll be diving in. Let's dive into some DC here. I yes, want to dive stop. in first with uh, Joker. Joker 2. We're actually getting more Joker 2 news. Yes. Somehow. So, yeah. so uh, Lady Gaga. Which Harley is a, Quinn. Yeah. It's a, uh, I will say, thankfully we're not getting a college age Harley Quinn. Yes. I am actually really thankful that it's Lady Gaga, which to me... At least assuage is one of my fears that this would be like a massive power imbalance type thing. Yeah. And that if it's maybe that this Harleen Quinzel maybe is just insane. 
already. And yeah. she just meets Joker in the asylum. And I think Lady Gaga is the but, perfect actress to play but this. The fact that this is actually going to be a musical, that's crazy. Honestly? It I think it could work. I think it could work. Like Lady Gaga, obviously. You phenomenal to, singer. Like, you have to have her sing if she's Come gonna on. star in a role. Oh, of course. And Lady Gaga, phenomenal singer. She is definitely I have no fears at all about lady gaga in this role she is going to kill it oh yeah but see my biggest complaint about musicals is that they can't carry a story i have no fear of that whatsoever how story. could you say that when there's les miserables or i just phantom of the opera i've seen or the <clears throat> or the fucking lion king i've just seen way too many bad musicals i feel like they okay can easily that's be your used... problem you haven't seen good musicals i have seen many great musicals. Oh, that's right. You are a New York kid, yeah. I have seen <laughs> many great musicals, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So No, I've seen so many bad musicals that's like, oh, the fact that we're a musical means that we can basically have no plot. You have not seen Sweeney Todd, then. Oh, no. He's fucking uncultured bat, but he hasn't seen no, any I of the see classics. No, I'm not afraid of this, because I think this is going to be a good sequel. Yeah. Or, no, I, musical. I, I think musical. it's going to be a good musical. It's going to be both a good musical and a good sequel. Yes, but um, I'm excited. and uh, Actually, no, I, I'm... Hold on one second. You have not seen... You were a theater kid! Okay. And you haven't seen Sweeney Todd? No. You haven't seen Fan of the Opera? That I have seen, but I've only seen the movies. And those were bad, so... You didn't watch... I found my fucking god! Okay. Okay, I'm mostly talking about movie adaptations of musicals, okay? That doesn't fucking count! Exactly. Anyways. Exactly. Oh my fucking god. Uncultured. Anyways. I believe this is gonna be great. Yes. Um, I am still a bit worried because, you know, any Joker Harley Quinn plot still needs to balance the fact that this is, at the end of the day, an extremely toxic and abusive relationship. Yeah, it could easily go the way of, like, like you know how those couples are. The ones yeah. that I idolize this type of toxic relationship. It's like, oh, you're you're the Mr. J to my pudding type thing. Yeah. That's very is. prevalent, and it's... Yeah, no. They're very concerning to the people who propagate that kind of uh, Yeah, so I stuff, am still so. obviously concerned. But having the casting as Lady Gaga assuages that, because I'm going to be perfectly honest here, I do not believe for a second Lady Gaga would ever entertain playing a character in such a role. Yeah, and also just the fact, like, last week, we wouldn't have thought for a second that this would have been a musical. Oh, yeah, no. I, that was the furthest thing from our from our minds. But I like it. Musical, I think, actually works because you know what? I think the Joker could sing. Yeah, no. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix probably could, honestly. Yeah. And to be honest, even if Jared Leto played the Joker, it would be really good because Jared Leto is actually a very good singer. Ah, oh, man. He was in 30 Seconds to Mars. He was. And they were a good band. I just don't want to give Jared Leto any more roles, because he's a, he's a garbage human being. <laughs> I was going to say this. I actually thought about it for a second, and Jared Leto may be actually one of the best actors of all time, because he's been in so many great movies. He was in American Psycho. He was in Fight Club. He was in Morbius. 
You're propagating that meme now. He was you're, you're in, on the bandwagon now. I finally he, got you on the he meme was bandwagon. In, he was in Suicide Squad. He's been in some of the greatest movies of all time. That has to count for something. Yeah, but he wasn't. He was in, uh, like, let's see. He was in American Psycho. He was in Fight Club. He was in Requiem for a Dream. Come on, man. He was in Blade Runner 2049. He's been in some very good movies. Yeah. And he's also a good singer. That is undeniable. So it still doesn't save him from being an awful human being. Oh, oh of course, of <laughs> course. But, I mean, so was Kevin Spacey. Are we going to say Kevin Spacey wasn't a good actor? No. But he is a shit human being. But, yeah. I will say... I was not expecting this last week when we first brought up this movie but if they want to take this Joker um, like solo universe and just experiment with it beyond like audience expectations then the rails are yours uh, Tom Phillips yep. go all out honestly honestly I want them to go as far as they can with the whole musical angle like i want them to go full balls to the walls when it think comes we'll, to musicals do you think we'll get a scene like in a musical like them going into what is it the lazarus pit no what, which what's the one that they go to both uh, joker and harley quinn what's the one i'm thinking of it's a uh, ace chemical plant ace chemical plant there i was go. about to say the lazarus pit you think rachel ghoul is in this no, no, no! I'm trying to like, what's the the pit that it they was go the to? Ace Chemicals? It was Ace Chemicals. Was... Okay, so basically, I'm mixing, I'm mixing up my my uh, bowls of goo that people drop into. Yes, it was the Ace Chemical Plant. Okay, so you think we'll get a scene of them singing as they fall in and then come out rebirthed as a full musical? You think we'll get a moment like that? Honestly, it's too good. It is good. I'm just wondering if it would be realistic enough. Because Joker has been fairly grounded. They didn't do any fantastical superhero anything. The closest you can get is him living, getting fucking brutalized by that truck. That's the most superhero thing we've gotten. Outside of that, it's been pretty grounded in terms of I... feats. You could still make that work. I mean, if anything, that would... Uh... Because that is the thing that bleaches Harley's skin, right? Yes, yeah, she goes through the same thing he does. Yeah. I don't believe she can actually, like, um... Yeah, unbleach her skin. Like, he can't. Yeah. So Either way, that musical setup is too good. You're right. It It, it is possible to make that work. Mm. And it, it's right there. It's literally in a silver platter. Mm -hmm. That part of their origin story is right there. And that could be a really good musical moment. Now, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think we'll see a child Bruce Wayne in this movie? I hope not. We, part of me thinks we will see him. We most likely not, will. But, not at, but just in the same way we saw Thomas Wayne, he will be there as a thing in the plot but not a main part of the plot yeah because really the biggest complaint that anyone has towards the first movie is the unnecessary inclusion of bruce wayne i thought it was actually pretty topical can all things considered i thought it was pretty perfect to actually have bruce wayne be involved 
at least the Wayne family be involved because no, the Wayne family itself that was included really well. But why wouldn't Bruce Wayne? If you ha if you're already doing the Wayne family, you might as well throw in a Bruce cameo. Come on, yeah, come on, that's just easy. The big the biggest complaint was the killing that ruined the pacing of the ending. I think the killing was the best part of having them in there, as it frames the killing as the ultimate hubris of the rich. Because you have to remember, this was an anti-capitalist, anti-rich movie. And who better to have as the biggest focal point and the biggest outlet for that race to be let out upon than the Wayne family? Okay, that's a pretty good hot take, actually. I think that, I thought that, it was that's perfect. A, that, that, that's I thought a... it was thematically perfect. Yep. Like, because the boiling over, like, the giant riot at the end of the original Joker is a class-based riot. You know what, that's probably... Who else would they kill? If not the richest people. And think about it. Think about that honestly. Think about it. Do you honestly think the two richest people in the city would get away in a riot like that and not get shot to death or brutalized? Yeah, no, no. No, no. It was perfect, in my opinion. It was the perfect capstone in terms of what that movie was showing. In terms of how the city was going to explode. Yeah. Anyway... Um, I think this movie is going to be really interesting. My thing is, what would be the antagonistic force of this movie? Because Joker 1 didn't have a real antagonist. They were shitty people, but none that you could say was a villain. And I think they're going to continue in the same vein. They, they could go in the same way, because... But I want to know what could be the antagonistic force of this time. Because... I believe that, once again, if anything, the villain is going to be Gotham itself. Yes. Just like how it was in the original movie, as well as in the Batman. But I want to know what aspect of Gotham are they going to tackle. Because we can't retread that Gotham is a poor hellhole that doesn't treat mentally ill people well. And that has already been thoroughly... Um, and the corruption element has already been dived into in the Batman. Yeah, so I wonder what element of Gotham are they going to go through. Maybe it won't be a Gotham film. Maybe it will be an Arkham film. That's what I was thinking. It's like maybe Arkham is the focus this time. It could be Arkham. And I believe it has to be Arkham. It cannot be Blackgate Penitentiary. It has to be Arkham. Because he was in Arkham, right? They did not say it was Arkham. Where he went. Okay. It's just a place that we presume is Arkham. But then again, it was pretty pristine. Which does not match any description of Arkham I would give. Yeah. But um, I'm wondering if Arkham will be the antagonistic force of it all. And if that's the case, I'm wondering if they're going to make the head of Arkham Hugo Strange. Yeah. Ultimately, because, again, this has had very little crossover aside from Batman himself with any other IP from DC. Yeah, no, the only crossover is with Batman itself. Uh, they, I did not see any Easter eggs to any other aspect of the DC Universe, and I think they will continue in that vein as well. I do not think we're going to see any crossovers with other aspects of DC. I believe it's going to be Batman-centric, and by Batman-centric, I mean it will only tackle anything necessary, meaning it will be the location of Arkham and Gotham, and maybe one or two characters from the comics. Yeah, because I'm, the only comic book characters that appeared in Joker was the Waynes and Alfred. 
Yeah. Everyone else was an original character. Even the police officers, they they could have they could have said that it was Harvey Bullock and Jim Gordon as those officers, but they didn't. Yeah. So I think they're also going to go out of their way to make it so that any connections to Batman are only loosely connected. Yeah. But um, yeah, I am I'm cautiously hyped. optimistic about this no, movie. No, I'm, I'm not even going to put it in cautiously. I'm hyped for it. I'm cautious just because the, uh, the, the Harley Quinn Joker dynamic can go very wrong very quickly. We said that about the first Joker, though. Just the whole concept of the first movie. Well, see, my problem was never about the concept of the Joker going wrong. The problem was always an external force being the, you know, the fact that the Joker inspired. The Joker, the character inspired what could be right-wing incel rage. Nothing, and it had nothing to do with the contents of the movie. Because you have to remember, when Aurora, Colorado happened, nothing that the Joker did in The Dark Knight actually corresponded to how the Aurora Colorado shooter did what he did. Are you talking about the movie theater shooting or something else? The movie theater shooting. That wasn't in... I always was of the understanding that that wasn't inspired by the Dark Knight at all. It was at the Dark Knight and he dressed up like... He he looked like a fucking clown. I was under the... I was under the impression that that was just an officer screwing up just because he had bright red hair and he went to that showing just because it was the most populated one that's what i was always told there was because there was, he was he was told like because it was an officer screw up that said oh he dressed up like the joker when he just had bright red hair that's what i was always told yeah but still the connections to that i mean the connections and... to the underlying behavior itself is there yeah it's just not and... i don't think he was like joker in I don't think he was Joker inspired, but the fact of the matter is that's what people were concerned about with Joker. They weren't necessarily concerned about what they would handle. That element is real. But I think this truly is something that could be handled wrong. Yeah. That's why I'm constantly optimistic. Because um, there's a lot you can go wrong with this relationship. Oh yeah, no, you can you can screw up a lot of relationships just by the depiction of this one. Exactly. So I'm cautiously optimistic. But um yeah. Moving on, um, I just wanted to talk about the fact that Young Justice Season 4 and has... Br- and briefly, because we have another big segment after this yes. for politics. So Young Justice Season 4 has ended, and it was really good. It was a really good season. It was the culmination of the massive Superboy arc that had been going on. So I really just want to run through all the arcs and how it all tied together. So arc 1 of the season was the Mars arc which was focusing on the prelude to Superboy and Miss Martian's wedding. So it took place on Mars. They actually got married. Wow. Good for them. Well, we're going to get to that. Oh, 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 oh. Because up to the point where I watched up till like, season two, like, they're... Because season two was to the point where, like, their relationship was very, like, awkward. Yeah, so they were... So it was on Mars. It was the... to prepare they were doing the whole martian ceremony to get ready for the wedding so on the groom side was superboy beast boy um miss martian's mom not miss martian miss martian's dad as well as green beetle from season two so um they were on the groom side meanwhile on the bright side it was mcgann her sister emery and uh, her mom as well as this one priestess lady 
Um, the the mission also doubled. Oh yeah, Martian Manhunter is there, obviously. Of course, he is, yeah. But um, the mission also doubles as a test for a Zeta tube from Earth to Mars as part of the Earth Mars relations going on. And Superman was supposed to come through the Zeta tube and inevitably also help with the wedding because obviously he's the best man. Yeah. And so while this is happening, um, Martian racism. There's a lot of racism between the the, the Aachen, which are the white Martians, the Garuns, which are the green Martians, and the royal family, which are the red Martians. And so how it works is the red Martians are considered, you know, tip-top of the caste system. They are like the ultimates, the whatever. Then you have the Garuns, which are the green Martians, which are the, domin the dominant race on the planet, and they treat the Aachen, which are the white Martians, the worst. And this is where we enter in our antagonist for the arc, which is going to be Makam, which is Miss Miss, which is Martian Manhunter's nephew and Miss Martian's brother. He and McGann are white Martians compared. To, so technically, they are mixed. All of them are mixed. All of um, McGann and Makam and their siblings are mixed because McCann's da McCom's dad, basically their dad is a Green Martian. Their mom is no. Their mom is a Green Martian. Their dad is a White Martian. And so they are all mixed. However, McGann and McCom came out white while the rest came out green. And so they experienced a lot of racism growing up. And because of that, McGann ran away to Earth with Martian Rand Hunter. And that's how we see her in season one. But as a result, McCom was left to fend for himself. His other siblings abandoned him because they didn't want to deal with the racism of having to defend their white brother. And so he became very hateful and resentful. They became very radicalized to the point where he wanted to free all the white Martians from the oppression of the green Martians and the red Martians, but it took a very genocidal turn. And so we first get a hint of this plot line back in season three, where we find out that he's stirring up a somewhat of a civil war on New Genesis between the bug colony and the new gods by posing as Orion. And he was using trafficked metatines from Earth to achieve this end. And in the end, we find out he's aligned with Darkseid. So this season, he is going full on genocide. He is creating a gene bomb, which will kill every non-white martian because of their genetics so we're going full we're going full genocide right now he is like lost like he's completely lost at this point and so part of the um so we also there's also a murder mystery plotline where the king was recently killed and we have a son jm who is basically the crown prince and he's going to take over and he wants to do things differently as he we learn, find out he was in love with a green Martian, but because she was green and not red, he couldn't marry her. And it turns out she became part of the priestess class, which was the yellow Martians, to try and hide the fact that she accidentally killed the king in a bout of anger when he denied her the right to marry his son. And so this is all happening and it all culminates in the gene bomb about to go off. Dark Desaad, Desaad, who is one of Darkseid's right-hand men, gave him the gene bomb. He was going to set it off. Superboy figures it out. 
Um, also during this time, Garfield is experiencing a lot of PTSD from the end of season three, because at the end of season three, Brielle Markov, AKA Geoforce, brutally executes his uncle by shoving lava down his throat until it burns him inside and kills him. Yes, it was very brutal. He, so he kills, he kills his uncle and then deposes his brother and becomes the new king of Markovia. And it was a complete breach of trust of every one of the members of the Outsiders, including Beast Boy. And so Beast Boy is heavily traumatized about the fact that he let Brion fall so far. So he's going through a lot of trauma right now. He's also traumatized because, as established in the Young Justice comics, in between season one and two, Queen Bee killed his mother. By, because you know how back in season one and season two, Queen Bee can control men? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out she can control anyone who's attracted to her, and Garfield's mom was bisexual, so she basically told her to drive off a cliff, and she did exactly that. Mm. Yes, and also, we also dealt with the fact that um, back in season three, um, he's still reeling from the death of uh, Wally, because Wally died at the end of season two, but also the death of the Doom Patrol, as the only person that lived was Mento, the rest died on a mission. So he's dealing with a lot of PTSD. And so he's been really on edge this entire trip. And when things start going wrong, he starts to become more on edge. So then the gene bomb is about to happen. Connor goes to stop the gene bomb, but we see briefly someone comes out of a sphere and puts a box on top of the gene bomb and then disappears. We then find out that one, that box is made out of lead which is one of the only things super the one of the only things Kryptonians can't see through, and two, the box had kryptonite inside, and so when Superboy brings the gene bomb into the lava to destroy it, it explodes and the kryptonite surrounds him, and we think he's dead. There's an ash. There's an ash mark in the form of a humanoid on the wall, and yeah, so um. The wedding isn't happening. Um. McGann is devastated. Like the post credit scene the, for that episode is just McGann crying. It is literally just a scene of her on their wedding bed crying. It's that bad. She's just crying her eyes out. And then the next time we see her, she is basically threatening to murder her brother because she thinks it's his fault because she thought he purposely put kryptonite there, but he didn't know there was kryptonite. But anyways, we go on to arc two, which is basically focusing on Tigress slash Artemis. She is dealing with the fact that she now lives with Red Arrow, who now goes by the name of Will, because you know, he's a clone. He's not the real Roy Harper. So he now goes by Will Harper, and he is raising his kid with Artemis' sister, Cheshire, remember? Mm -hmm. And so they have a kid, and so it's, the house is her, her mom, Paula, which, um, you remember, woman in wheelchair, married sportsmaster. So those two, Will and Leanne, they're all together living in one household. And Artemis, she's now finally getting over Wally's death and she's moving on. She has a new boyfriend, but things are kind of off, especially when the revelation comes to the rest of the Earth heroes that Superboy has died. It has brought up a lot of past trauma for Artemis because it reminds her of Wally's death. 
and the fact that she was in a relationship with Wally and then he died and now Miss Martian was in a relationship with Superboy and he died and they both died being heroes so it definitely affects her like a lot she feels a lot of devastation from it but then she starts to know and also she's now the leader of the team she now is the full leader of the team and so one of the things she noticed is that she's being followed at her house which was established in season three the villains know very well not to attack the to attack the heroes in their civilian identities nor their families at any of their houses it is called the nuclear option in season three ocean master tried to murder a play date filled with a bunch of the superheroes family members and children and the light sent lady shiva to kill him because they were like if you fucking do that we all die they will kill us all hmm. so it is a big no-no no villains are to attack superheroes at their homes or any of their families it's considered a nuclear option because if they do so you know damn well Injustice Superman times 11 is coming straight through there. And they know that. So, she's being followed, so she leads whoever's following her to a library where she ambushes her alongside Arsenal and Arouette. They beat her, and it's revealed that her name is Onyx. She is the granddaughter of a former superhero named Amazing Man, and she now works in the League of Shadows. She's defecting from the League of Shadows because she's trying to warn Artemis that Cassandra Savage, daughter of Vandal Savage, is gonna claim that she's defecting from the light and that she wants to join the heroes. And then Cassandra Savage shows up and is like, no, Onyx is a spy that was meant to make you think that I am trying to be a faker, but I'm not. I'm trying to defect. She's trying to mislead you. And so they take them in and they, Miss Martian obviously isn't back on Earth, neither is Martian Manhunter. So they have no way of truly determining if they're telling the truth. They bring in Will, they bring in Will and Cheshire to see if they're telling the truth, and neither of them can determine if the truth is being told. Meanwhile, League of, Sass League of Shadows assassins try to kill both of them, both um, Onyx and Cassandra. So then they try to attack them at one of their secret bases, and it's revealed that the real plot was for Lady Shiva to get her daughter, Cassandra Kane, aka Orphan. Orphan is one of the many children that Batman takes care of as one of his sidekicks. And so Orphan, as we find out later in the series, was put on a contract to kill the Joker, because the Joker was holding the UN hostage, which at the time, Lex Luthor was the UN Secretary General, and the Joker had him hostage, and the light was like, fuck this guy, he is too chaotic, we cannot deal with it. And in fact, remember in season one as how he was part of that Injustice League? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he didn't know that that was fake and he thought it was real. And so he got really pissed that everyone in the superhero community didn't tell him. Everyone in the supervillain community didn't tell him that it was fake. And the fact that Riddler knew and he didn't really pissed him off. So that's why he's holding the UN hostage. And so the light puts out a contract on Joker to kill him. And so Cassandra Kane is the one to do it. She is going to kill him. But at the time, the Bat family is foiling the Joker's plot. And Batgirl notices that Cassandra is going to kill Joker. But she can tell, one, she's never killed someone before. And two, that Cassandra's a fucking child. 
So when Cassandra goes in to stab Joker with her sword, Barbara jumps in the way and it severs her spinal column, thus doing a better version of Killing Joke. Barbara becomes paralyzed and becomes Oracle, and it is technically because of the plot involving Joker, but it's not the Joker crippling her, it's Barbara getting in the way of stopping a child from becoming a murderer. And because of that, Cassandra defects, and ever since Cassandra defects, Lady Shiva has wanted her daughter back. And now that she's the chief enforcer for the Light, now that Deathstroke has been elevated to um, member of the Light and leader of the League of Assassins, um, Shiva is now chief enforcer, so now she's using the she's using the vast amount of um, resources that she has to get her daughter back. The also second plot was that Cassandra was the mole. Cassandra Savage was the mole, and she actually has a bunch of like nanobots on her that was supposed to steal a bunch of Justice League secrets off their hard drives. It all fails. They are able to stop the League from fully kidnapping Cassandra, and that's the end of that arc. Artemis basically kind of starts, basically, like, Artemis basically becomes on better relationship with her sister, who goes to have therapy with Rachel Ghoul, and there's a scene where it's someone who we presume is Jason Todd, alongside Cheshire and Onyx going under therapy with Rachel Ghoul as he's now left the light. He's no longer with the light, and he's now doing his own thing. He's no longer in the assassin game either. So um, she's getting therapy. Artemis has moved on, and she's going to keep taking care of Leanne. So that's arc two. Arc three is with Zatanna. Zatanna is now training three um, students. One is Khalid Nasur, who is the great nephew of Kent Nelson, the original Dr. Fate back in season one and two or mainly just season one. So he is the great nephew of Dr. Fate and he's Muslim. That's an important thing. Then we have Tracy 13. She was introduced as Blue Beetle's girlfriend back in season three, and she is someone that has bad luck magic. Like if there's a bad luck that can happen, she can induce it. And her third apprentice is Mary Bromfield. Mary Marvel, Billy Batson's sister. And so she's training them to be good at magic because they're not good like they're good but they're not good mary is trying to use magic independent of her shazam form because she became addicted to being um mary marvel she like she would refuse to get out of the form and it took like a whole coaxing from billy to finally get her to give up billy and freddie convinced her to stop being it so her whole thing is she's addicted to power it's like for her, it's a stand-in for drug addiction. She's addicted to magical power. And so, Khalid and Tracy and Mary, they're all training under her. When all of a sudden, the Lords of Chaos decide that Clarion is not doing a good enough job at creating chaos in the universe, in the mortal realm. So they send in another one. Her name is Child. And she is far more dangerous. First thing that she does is she completely brutalizes the security guard at a museum and she turns a statue into a living being that she calls Flaw and that becomes her anchor. Kind of how Tickle is Clarion's anchor, you know the cat? Mm -hmm. So yeah. So she faces off against Clarion and she soundly beats him. So Clarion is like gone, like he, he lost, she kills Tickle so Clarion no longer has an anchor. And so then Child fuck shit up. 
like she completely devastates the planet like every hero and villain possible is trying to stop the devastation that's going on on the planet vandal savage is like we're getting off this fucking planet he is like telling the light to start like packing all their shit onto the war world he even like extend the invitation to rachel ghoul and his family if they want to join the war world because like vandal savage is like oh fuck this this planet is gone clarion is gone this bitch is too powerful we can't stop her we're out meanwhile zatanna she is um she goes to um doctor she goes to dr fate who if you remember is currently her father Zatara, right yeah giovanni zatara and so yeah so she goes to dr fate and she's like we need your help and he's like i will take you but i will not take your students and she's like no my students are just as capable so we put them through some tests and they pass the tests and thus he allows them to join them they also meet the phantom stranger who is very big deal in the dc universe and he basically tells them about what's happening that the the balance between the lords of order and chaos is out of whack and that's why clarion that's why kate that's why child is here and clarion is gone then we meet jason blood and etrigan the demon and he try faces off he tries facing off against child he fails so then they're like fuck we need a plan and that's when clarion comes through and clarion's like listen i want to win i want to be the dominant one here and so we find out that clarion took over a school bus full of children and he's been traveling through time and dimensions in the school bus looking for superheroes to help him and now this ties into a long-running gag in the series which is do you remember how whenever there's something happening in public there's usually a school bus full of screaming children yeah that school bus full of screaming children is actually clarion controlling the school bus and moving it throughout time looking for the right superheroes so when you saw superboy and superman save him that was that was clarion when you saw um guy gardner save them clarion green arrow black canary clarion when it suddenly appeared in space all of a sudden in season three clarion it also it also goes into the phantom zone where we see superboy and we find out superboy is alive he's just in the phantom zone but now we have no reason we have no way of knowing how he got there but now we know superboy is alive it also goes to apocalypse one year into the future of the current storyline meaning that a hero is now in apocalypse one year from now and we will get to that at the end and so clarion finally makes it to present day he finds zatanna and her group and at first dr fate wants nothing to do with clarion because you know lord of order lord of chaos you know diametrically opposed but they end up finding a new tickle for him for him to use as an anchor and so then they all come together and they fight child mary gives into her lust for power and starts absorbing all of the power in the, she starts so her thing is using the ley lines within the land to fuel her magic power but she can also absorb magic and so she starts absorbing magic from tracy dr fate khalid and zatanna while fighting child to try and hold her back as much as she can and eventually tracy is able to gain enough power to defeat flaw which causes child to disappear and we also see that 
the Phantom Stranger got Vandal Savage to talk to the Lords of Order and Chaos, and he basically negotiated for them to stop sending Lords of Chaos down there, and that Clarion is fine, and that if they leave him there, he will continue to do his job, and such. And so they were like, okay, we won't send more Lords of Chaos, but we will not send, we will not call Child back. She'll need to be defeated. And so she ends up getting defeated, and the world is saved. And then Zatanna comes up with the idea that Dr. Fate should not have one host, but should have multiple hosts. And it should be a rotation every four, every other, every fourth week. Someone. So how it would work is week one, Zatanna would be Dr. Fate. Week two, Tracy will be Dr. Fate. Week three, Khalid will be Dr. Fate. Week four, Zatara will be Dr. Fate. Week five, Zatanna. Notice I haven't mentioned Mary. Because of Mary absorbing all their power, Zatanna doesn't view Mary as responsible enough to undertake being Dr. Fate. And Mary gets very pissed. Very upset that she not only played a significant part in saving the world from child, but the fact that she doesn't get to be a part of this group really pisses her off and she runs away. And so then the question becomes, was this Zatanna's plan all along? Was she actually grooming three teenagers to inevitably take over the position of Dr. Fate to free her father? And the answer is yes and no. In the sense that it when she initially recruited them to train them, that was not her intentions whatsoever. In fact, the only reason Child even appears is because Zatanna gets the idea to do so, and the sheer thought of rotating hosts on Dr. Fate, who is a Lord of Order, is what prompted the Lords of Chaos to send Child down there, as they felt the balances were out of whack with such a prospect. So, she wasn't initially, but by the time the arc begins, she has decided that she will do that. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But Mary is left out. And it ends, this is the end of the first half of season one, it ends with, one, Mary, with Zatanna, when she goes to touch the school bus to see what all the kids have gone through while Clarion was taking over the school bus, she sees Connor. And at first she thinks he's dead, but his spirit's not at rest. So he's like, oh fuck, this isn't good. So then we flash to the second, we flash to the post credit scene, which is Mary, in Fawcett City, very depressed, and then a voice starts speaking out to her, telling her to say the word, to embrace her power. And she says, Sajam, and it's revealed that the woman talking to her is Granny Goodness, one of the many new gods working under Darkseid. So it's looking like Granny Goodness has just recruited Mary. Arc 4. Arc 4 is Calder's arc. It focuses on the politics of Atlantis. As you, well, you don't know this, but in between seasons two and three, Aquaman has retired and he has decided to just become king of Atlantis full-time. And in his stead, Calder Aqualad gets promoted to Aquaman. So Calder has been Aquaman. He actually served as league chairman back during season three. So this is about how recently, um, so, What's been going on in Atlantis is they're having a summit of the seven kingdoms of Atlantis. And so there are several people there. There's Mira 
there's Orin, there's King Shark, and no, he's not like how he is in the Suicide Squad. He's actually a competent person. Is he like a is he like a tech bro like he is in Harley Quinn? No, he's oh. more like a Saiyan. Oh, that's a shame. I like I liked tech bro uh King Shark. No, he's more like <laughs> he's more like a Saiyan. He's more like where he like he respects people with lots of power. So like when him and him and Cal when he's like trying to start a fight in a bar and Calder just punches him in the face, he's like fine. No, no, in the Harley Quinn animated series, he is like the goofy tech bro. Oh my god. It, it, it's, it's better than you think it is, trust I, me. I can imagine, but in here, <laughs> he is a, um, yeah, in here he is a um, fucking, he's basically a Saiyan. And so we get to see what's been going on with Atlantis in the years past. Um, Lagoon Boy um, is now, he's moved on, he is now married in a polycule. So oh. he is actually he is actually in a polycule with two other Atlanteans. So he has a wife and he has a husband and his wife is pregnant with one of they don't exactly say whose child it is between him and the husband, but they're all, it's equal. They're in a polycule and it's yeah. nice and it's based. So yeah. Meanwhile, Calder is in a relationship which was shown last season but is expanded upon in this season. He's in a relationship with a guy named Wind. So Calder is now in a gay relationship with a man named Wind, who in the comics used to be a follow in the Young Justice comics used to be a follower of Ocean Master before realizing that, you know, being racist was wrong. And yeah. Anyways, <laughs> so what's been going on is that the kingdoms can't decide on anything. They are all like pretty the like things have been pretty fucked. Poseidonus, which is the capital where Orin and Mira live, has been very prosperous. Meanwhile, everywhere else has not been. We actually find out that um, Calder's adoptive dad, Cal Cal Caleb Durham, which is where you get Calderon, as his name, Caleb Durham, who used to be a man that worked under Black Manta, who then fell in love with Black Manta's baby mama, and thus raised Calder as his own son, and he artificially became an Atlantean. So he is actually leading one of these prefectures. And um, yeah, they're all talking about how everything is just not equal. Mira's father, um, Miris, he does not want to do anything. He hates Arthur. He hates Arthur Curry a lot. He despises him, and he also hates all the other kingdoms. So he doesn't want anything to do with him. But there is a massive prophecy. There's a prophecy that the hero king Arian will return to Atl that the hero that the hero of Atlantis will return and when he returns he will unite all of Atlantis under his banner and we find out through we find out the history of Atlantis which is that Vandal Savage is the first metahuman he got his powers from a meteor that landed and so he started having a fuck ton of children, which all came out to have metagenes, which he realized came under severe stress. Well, Clarion appeared and murdered everyone. And so after killing Vandal Savage for 300 years, but realizing he can't actually kill him because he's immortal, they strike up a deal. Vandal Savage decides to continue populating the world and becoming basically Genghis Khan and a whole bunch of other people. But he specifically targets the continent of Atlantis. At this point, Atlantis is just a land continent. And so he populates it with a bunch of metahumans. 
And eventually, his plan was to have Atlantis be populated with metahumans and then have Clarion sink Atlantis into the ocean to create a new breed of metahumans, the Homo Magi, which would be magic humans. Because you had metahumans and then you had the magic humans, and so he wanted to create another species. And then, so his plan works, but it works too well. Clarion goes overboard, and instead of sinking Atlantis, the capital, he sinks the entire fucking continent into the ocean. And that's where Homo Mormanus comes. That is where, that is why technically every person that lives in Atlantis and is from the undersea is a metahuman themselves. And also, not just a metahuman, they're also all Homo Magi. Homo Mermanus is the Homo Merman, Homo Mermanus is basically the combination of the Homo Metas and the Homo Magi's. So every Atlantean is magical and has metahuman powers. And so we find out. So then the child thing happens, and during so the so first Ocean Master returns, which was very suspect because the last time we saw Ocean Master, he was nothing but a head on the floor after Lady Shiva decapitated him for. Once again, trying to murder everyone in the Justice League's family. So he's back, and no one knows why. And so he starts attacking, but he's thwarted by a hooded figure. Then the child shenanigans happen, which of course affected Atlantis. And so Mira, Aqualad, Aquaman, Ocean Master, and this hooded figure all stop child's assault on Atlantis. And it is revealed that it's Aryan who was the grandson of Vandal Savage, who was the leader of Atlantis when it was sunk by Clarion. He is somehow returned. And because of that, people are thinking that the prophecy is coming true and that the first king of Atlantis, Arian, has come back to rule Atlantis in its time of strife. Meanwhile, Aquaman is not buying it. He thinks something fishy is up. No pun intended. And so he thinks something's fishy up. So he sends Calder, Lagoon Boy, Wind on a mission, and they are joined by Delphus, who is a girl, for, who is a girl who was trafficked back in season three, and her metagene turned her into a Homo Romanus, meaning she could no longer live on land. Thus, she moved down to Atlantis. She lives with Calder and Wind, and so the four of them all come together, and they go to look at the ruins of the first Atlantis city to find Arian's crown to determine if this is real. So while that's happening. Ocean Master has been put in prison, and Miss Martian, who's finally returned to Earth, shows up, and she determines that the Ocean Master that we're seeing now is a clone of the Ocean Master that we originally saw. This Ocean Master, however, firmly believes that he is the original Ocean Master. And so we come to find out, well, so Ocean Master did die. But, as you remember back in Season 1, the Light are very good at cloning. Like, very good at cloning. That's why we have three people. That's why, that's why we have three clones of Roy Harper running around. And that's why Superboy exists. They're really good at cloning. And so what's actually happened was that they took the DNA of Arian and they cloned his body. And then they took the mind of Ocean Master and put it in the body of Arian and then cloned Ocean Master and then put and then 
have the clone set up with fake memories to think he's the real Ocean Master. Hmm. And so then the fake Ocean Master would engineer strife within the Atlantean kingdoms. So then Arian, who is actually the real Ocean Master, would swoop in, would become king of all kingdoms, and thus put Atlantis all under the control of Vandal Savage and the Light. This was all culminated in something known as Project Therenos. And it worked. It actually worked. The kingdoms decide to come together and they decided to vote Arian to become king. Meanwhile, Calder and the rest returned with Arian's crown from the ruins of Atlantis and Arian, becoming cocky, wants to put on the crown. Aquaman says, don't do this. Please don't do this. This is a big mistake. And so he puts on the crown. Unbeknownst to Ocean Master, the crown was a gift given to Arian by the Lords of Order. So when he put on the crown, they smited him from space, disintegrating his body in front of the entire Atlantean kingdom. Thus revealing he was a fake. Thus fully killing off Ocean Master once and for all. And everyone's like, oh fuck. So they elect Mira instead. Because Mira actually did meet all the, all the parameters for the prophecy. And everyone likes Mira. And so she becomes the new king of Atlantis. Orin becomes the new... Orin returns to the Justice League and he joins as Aquaman. He also lets Calder stay as Aquaman. And he promotes Lagoon Boy to Aquaman. So Lagoon Boy now is Aquaman the third, And he's now a member of the Justice League. Also in this time, his child has now been born. So he's now a happy father. Um, Arthur, he is Aquaman once again. He is now a member of the Justice League. And he's going to focus on raising their kid, Arthur Jr., while Mira is king. Calder, who has been thoroughly overworked for the past several years, is finally going to take a break. And he spends that time, one, with Wind and Delphus, but two, in therapy with Black Canary, mourning the fact that under his lead under his leadership of the lead, of the um of the team he let Tula die he let Jason Todd die he let Wally die and even though it was not his fault he still feels responsible for Superboy dying but as we know Superboy isn't dead so that was Calder's arc now we get to Rocket's arc so Rocket's arc is actually interspliced with Superboy so we find out that Superboy has actually lived and he is inside the phantom zone and tim and this unconscious alien girl we come to find out that that girl is named phantom girl she is a member of the legion of superheroes and they are from the 30th century they are from the 30th century they came back in time because they wanted to save superboy from dying because in the 30th century superboy is the inspiration for the league of superheroes and they're coming back in time to stop Superboy from dying. They think they failed, and they think Phantom... So three of them came back. It's Saturn Girl, Chameleon Boy, and Phantom Girl. Phantom Girl gets lost in the Mars explosion, and so they think that she died alongside Superboy. Reality is that she transported him to the Phantom Zone, but she's still unconscious. 
And in the Phantom Zone, you don't age, and your status rarely changes. Meaning that if you're injured in the Phantom Zone, if you were injured before the Phantom Zone, your injuries are still fucking there. You don't age or anything. And if you're pregnant inside the Phantom Zone, even if you were close to term, you cannot give birth in the Phantom Zone. That comes in for later. So, anyways, Superboy has been traversing the Phantom Zone, and he's been going through zone sickness. Because the whole thing about the Phantom Zone is while the Kryptonians initially thought it was just a space to hold people prisoner, what they didn't realize is that it makes you fucking insane because it's so fucking fucked up in there. And so Superboy slowly becomes insane. He thinks that he is dead. He thinks that he's not dead. He is reverted to his Cadmus He's reverted to his initial Cadmus programming all the way back from season one. He thinks that he has already killed Superman. He thinks that Lex Luthor is truly his father. All kinds of fucked up shit. But he is inevitably saved by a man. A man named Drew Zod. General Drew Zod. Who was in the Phantom Zone. So you can see where this is going. Mm -hmm. And so, meanwhile, in the Rocket side of things, Rocket is um she is currently on a delegation to new genesis where she's going to be meeting with the new gods and the green lantern corps to discuss a treaty the team that is going to new genesis is her jay garrick the flash who turns 101 while on the trip making him one of the oldest members of the justice league and forager who is a character that we were introduced to back in season three who is a native of new genesis so they go to new genesis and the meeting is going to be between rocket j rocket and jay where they will be meeting with Orion, son of Darkseid and New God, um, Bear, not Bear, um, remember the black guy New God from the Forever People that showed up back in season one? No. Yes, I forgot his name, but he's there, he's friends with Superboy, and then from the Green Lantern Corps, we have Kilowog and Tomare. So the three of them are together, so the six of them are together, and they're having negotiations, and they're not going anywhere. Things are not going well. Rocket is having trouble because her son Amistad is autistic and she doesn't know how to handle dealing with him being autistic. She thinks he's perfectly fine the way that he is and she's kind of very stubborn and not agreeing with her baby daddy about the fact that maybe he should be given special care to help him deal with his autism because, you know, it's a very complicated thing. It's a, it kind of deals with, you know, autism and how autistic people are treated differently but also there's a slight you know a slight racial part of it how you know black people are kind of always seen as lesser so him admitting that he needs help for his autism may be used against him because he's black they don't outright say it but as a black person i can tell that's exactly how she was feeling and so there's that but the parallel to that is she is dealing with orion now orion is a new god in the son of dark side and while he is not autistic he is neuroatypical. He has immense claustrophobia. And because he's the son of Darkseid, he is prone to intense blood rages that are completely out of his control. And it makes him go off and he hates it. It's very painful for him and it does not calm him in any way. So that is supposed to be the foil going on here. Meanwhile, the villains of this arc is Makam, back from the Mars arc, Mantis, who is a bug who back in season three, when Makam was posing as Orion, basically told him that he should fuck off and go join Darkseid, which was entirely part of Makam's plan. And so now Mantis works for Darkseid. And then we are revealed who the person in the sphere was that put the kryptonite box on the gene bomb. 
It is a teenage boy named Lor Zod, the son of General Zod. And what we learn is that in the future, back during the League of Super... In the future with the Legion of Superheroes, the Phantom Zone is finally opened up. And when that happens, General Zod and all of his men are freed because they, instead of spending... Instead of, say, instead of having a 10-year sentence, they had a 30,000-year sentence. Or however long it is to reach the 30th century. A long fucking time. They spent a long time in the Phantom Zone. And so they're freed because, you know, that's the humane thing to do. And um, so, well, General Zod did General Zod things and he decides he's going to take over the entire fucking universe. And so they all get thrown back into the Phantom Zone, except for his son, Lor Zod. Lor Zod then fights the Legion of Superheroes and steals their time sphere so he can go back in time, so he can free his father earlier in the timeline, as well as killing Superboy. Thus meaning his father can now be free to take over the universe at an earlier time period, and with Superboy dead, the Legions of Superheroes will never come to form. During this time, Lor Zod also creates a deal with Darkseid, the same deal Vandal Savage has with Darkseid, which is basically... We will leave each other alone until we are the two galactic powers left, and then we will have a winner-takes-all fight at the end. That is the current deal that Vandal Savage and Darkseid have. Lorazad makes the same deal with Darkseid. So Darkseid is technically double-dipping right now. So anyways, the team of Lorazad, um, Makam, and Mantis, they are going to New Genesis to stir up trouble so they can get into Metron's vault so they can find a Phantom Zone projector. During this time, we have a brief pit stop, and it turns out that the Green Lantern, the animated series, remember that CGI show? Mm -hmm. Well, that show is actually canon adjacent to Young Justice, because we are introduced to original character from the series, Razor, who during the time was a Red Lantern. Now he's a Blue Lantern, but he seems to have lost all hope, because at the end of Green Lantern, the animated series, he was looking for his love, the AI Ava, but he cannot find her, and now he's lost hope. And so he returns to New Genesis to meet with Metron. Metron has his Red Lantern ring. And so he wanted to use the Red Lantern ring because maybe he believes tapping into his rage will allow him to, you know, find Ava. So he goes there. Metron is Metron, i.e. a massive fucking dick. And so uh, he turns out that he's been tricking, turns out he's been tricking Razor the entire time. Razor and him get into a fight. Razor ends up using both the Red Lantern and Blue Lantern link blue lantern rings together they have combined he is now the red blue lantern and now he's realized that he can control both his rage and have hope and he's going to use that revitalized status to try and search for ava once again but what 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 that episode does serve to do is it serves to be the opening that makam lorzad and mantis need to do to get into metron's vault where they three-piece combo him by beating the fuck out of him in his vault to steal the phantom zone projector even though um, Metron thinks he's outsmarted them, they go back in time using the time spare to one day earlier while they're still in the vault, so then they can go in get the Phantom Zone projector. So then they need to pop the Phantom Zone projector. During that time, they accidentally set off a Promethean, which is basically one of the many giants that are attached to the source wall, and they activate a Promethean who threatens to destroy all of New Genesis. So during this time... Um, so during this time, all of the heroes try and stop, um, all of the heroes try and stop 
this from happening. Tomar Ray, who feels guilt over the fact that he let Krypton get destroyed because he was the um, he was the Green Lantern taking um, that was um, responsible for patrolling Krypton. He takes over, and well, he dies. Lorzod kills him, but he was able to stop the Promethean Giant from destroying New Genesis. But he does die, and his Green Lantern ring goes on to a female bug who is also named Forager. Yes, there are now two Foragers. In fact. Pretty much every bug is named Forager, except for Mantis, who is named Mantis. And they all speak in the third person. It is very difficult. And so she becomes the new Green Lantern. And what happens is that they were able to arrest Mantis, and they were able to capture a device that they were all using called the Kaiser Thrall. So while that happens, meanwhile in the Phantom Zone, Superboy, he, co he gets completely He basically joins General Zod's cult. They do all the stereotypical cult shit by love bombing him and, you know, basically just making him feel like he's one of them. And he pledges his loyalty to General Zod. And so then, during this time, we see that um, the Legion of Superhero recruited Bart Allen, because he knows how to deal with time travel, to see if he can help them. But through shenanigans, they end up destroying the Phantom Zone Protector. But Makam and Lorzad notice that, so they fly up to their bio ship and infiltrate it and take Saturn Girl, Chameleon Boy, and Bart Allen hostage, and they disappear into time. With, they disappear into time. The Kaiser Thrall is then taken to Oa alongside Mantis. The new gods, the, the new gods, the Justice League and the Green Lantern Corps have decided that they do need to work together because of shit like this. And during this time, they like rocket briefly starts to understand that maybe superboy could be alive potentially so then this all culminates into the final arc the nightwing slash superboy arc which in this arc begins with all of the magic users coming together in the tower of fate to find superboy's presence and they find that superboy is not amongst the afterlife meaning that he is most definitely alive they don't want to tell Miss Martian this because the last thing they would want is to be wrong and to have gotten her hopes up. So Zatanna recruits Dick Grayson, who basically starts to piece together that Superboy most definitely was transported to another dimension. Given the fact that certain things have been happening, such as the mysterious disappearance of Bart Allen, several the fact that the Legion of Superheroes have been noticed around Bart and Superman, but no one knows who they are except for Bart and Superman. So he recruits Artemis and Rocket, who all come together with the information that they've gleaned from their arcs to piece together that, yes, Connor is alive. They also recruit Calder. And so they go to Superman. Superman has his lips sealed because Superman is afraid that if he tells them the truth, it will disrupt the time stream and thus disrupt the flow of time. And thus causing, you know, a collapse of the space-time continuum. So he's not going to tell them shit. Anyways... So they find a way to get into the Phantom Zone, which is to find the school bus that was used by Clarion to enter the Phantom Zone and rebuild it. And then from using the rebuilt Phantom Zone, use Zatanna's connection to magic to transport the bus into the Phantom Zone to let them find Superboy. So they do that and they get in there and they try to save Superboy. But Superboy is so mentally fucked he doesn't believe they're real, first of all. Second of all, even if they are real, he doesn't think he should go back because he thinks that he's a murderer, that he murdered Superman, and that all he would do is murder more people, including McGann. And so, he doesn't go. Kryptonians beat the shit out of them, but they don't have full Kryptonian powers because Kryptonian powers only unlock under a yellow sun, and there is no sun in the Phantom Zone. During this time, 
um, Phantom Girl finally wakes up. She tries to get Superboy to go with her. He doesn't. So she leaves and goes to Mars. Because that was the last place she was when before she fell into the Phantom Zone. So she goes to Mars. She tells Prince Jem, who then contacts the Justice League and is like, Yo, you may not believe me, but I believe her because I have mind reading power. So and I can tell she's telling me the truth that um, I believe Superboy is alive. And since he tried to save all of our species, I'm indebted to him. So the League comes together and Superman's like, oh shit, my brother may be alive. Holy fuck. And so it all starts to come together. They tell Miss Martian, and Miss Martian is obviously cautious about the whole thing. <laughs> and so it starts the final showdown, which is Lorzod finally gets his hands on a Phantom Zone projector. And he is able to then use that projector. No, 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 he doesn't get his hands on a Phantom Zone projector. What he does is he breaks out the Kaiser Thrall from the prison for, on Oa, which we then find out the Kaiser Thrall is not just a machine, it is a living machine with the mind of an 11-year-old boy. And it turns out this was a boy that was trafficked by the light and sold into slavery to Darkseid, who then destroyed his body and only kept his brain and put it into a weapon. So, yes, the child trafficking that's been going on since season three, still very much alive and well, and still horrifyingly fucked up. And it turns out, every time the Kaiser Thrall uses his powers, it's killing him. Very fucked up shit. Anyways, so they actually, so they call in Orion, who wanted to use a boom tube to get into the Phantom Zone. So they call Orion, Orion brings the boom tube, they decide that instead of going uh, doing this on Earth, they should go to a planet with a red sun. So in case any Kryptonian prisoners break out, they would be able to, you know, handle them. So they go to a red sun and everything goes to shit. Makam does Makam things. He fucks them all up. He takes over the Kaiser Thrall. He attaches a mother box to the Kaiser Thrall, turning it to a mother Thrall, opens a boom tube that allows Lorzad to get his father, his mother one other Kryptonian named Feora, and Superboy out. Lorzod wants to kill Superboy, but but General Zod thinks Superboy is, you know, useful because he thinks useful. He thinks Superboy is useful, but also he kind of sees Superboy as a bit of a surrogate son. And so they decide that they're going to boom tube to Earth. And what they're going to do is they're going to go to Earth and they're going to absorb the red sun, the yellow sun there to get full powers to start their conquest. And so they heroes all start to converge together the boom tube opens once again but the heroes inside the phantom zone try to stop them stop the kryptonians from getting through superboy not superboy nightwing runs into the boom tube he finds the zods in the fortress of solitude and he tries to stop them but you know they're kryptonians he's human they beat the fuck out of him and nearly kill him and so then the boom tube collapses and rocket's the only one that doesn't make it out so everything is kind of fucked. Um, meanwhile, Lorzod's mom, Ursa, gains the power of the Emerald Empress because she has the Emerald Eye of Ekron, which is an artifact that Lorzod stole from Metron's vault because he found it to be useful. Because that is something that is because the Eye of Ekron usually is used by a woman called the Emerald Empress in the future. But since this is the past, that means the eye is no longer being used by the Empress because she doesn't exist yet. So his mom is now the Empress. 
And so they are super amped up, and the heroes try. The heroes return from the planet with the red sun to try and stop the Zots. They get effort, they get effortlessly destroyed. Um, Nightwing tries to use kryptonite on the Zods. It didn't work. They steal the kryptonite. They use it on Superman and poison the fuck out of him with kryptonite. Then they boom tube to crypt. They boom tube to Metropolis where Superboy is revealed to a live, and in front of a live audience, he is going to snap Superman's neck. Enter the season finale. Turns out, everyone's faking their fucking deaths. Nightwing faked his death. Miss Martian faked the entire group dying when the Emerald Empress attacked them. And so, and so they come up with a plan, which is basically, they're all going to just attack at Metropolis, and they're going to stop the Kaiser Thrall from being used so they can rescue the kid inside and stop the boom tube. And it all works. Somehow. And the big the big twist of it all is that Rocket survived the boom tube collapsing on her. It turns out it transported her to Metron's vault. Metron actually has Lorzad's time sphere. So he has Rocket time travel to where the fight is happening. Time travels to the fight is happening. So all the Kryptonians get <sighs> knocked into the Phantom Zone, including Makam, where McGann confronts Macom one last time and says, I know you were happy that Connor died and I disown you. You are no longer my brother. So he's been disowned. He gets dropped into the fucking Phantom Zone. And so now it's just Lorzod. Lorzod then takes the Time Sphere, but is pre-programmed to go somewhere. It takes him back to Mars at the exact moment when the bomb was supposed to go off. He thinks this is an opportunity to finally kill Superboy once and for all. So he steps out of the Time Sphere but the time sphere disappears. He then turns and realizes the crypto that the bomb is going off and the bomb had kryptonite. It blows up and kills him and reveals that the ash mark at the beginning of the season was Lorzod the entire time. Because this has all been a 5D chess maneuver by Metron to kill Lorzod because he embarrassed him in the vault. Moral of the story, do not fuck with Metron. So anyways... The day is saved, Superboy and Miss Martian finally do get married, and it's all happy ending, except nope, because guess what happens? The Light enter the Phantom Zone with Clarion and kidnap every single Kryptonian in the Phantom Zone, including Zod, and so now the Light has an army of Kryptonians at their disposal. Yeah. Ursa somehow survived. Ursa was able to escape with the Eye of Ekron, and she's pregnant with now present-day Lorzod, and so she goes to a planet called Daxum, which is basically a planet full of Kryptonian offshoots, and it looks like she's going to conquer that planet. Makam is finally able to get the planet that, since he did a good job working under Darkseid, he's rewarded with a planet for all of the White Martians to live together, and that planet is revealed to be called Durla, the home of Chameleon Boy, thus revealing that Chameleon Boy is a descendant of Makam all along. And so then, the end credits scene basically reveals that Darkseid now has two new Furies added to him. One is Mary Marvel, who was recently, who was seen being corrupted by Granny Goodness, and that is the superhero that Clarion transported to one year in the future, Mary on Apocalypse. And lastly, the newest fury added to the Force of Apocalypse is Kara Zor-El, aka Supergirl. She was in the Phantom Zone the entire time, and when the light went in and cleared house on all the, on all the Kryptonians, they gave her over to Darkseid, so now the light 
and the Force of Apocalypse are jacked up to shit and the heroes are rightly fucked. And then of course, the comic that is supposed to take place in between season four and whenever season five happens, if it gets um, greenlit, came out its first issue, which is basically um, Queen Perdita, remember Garfield's girlfriend, is once again trying to be killed by Count Vertigo, like in season one, and they kidnapped her. And so it's up to Red Arrow to try and save her because it's revealed in a flashback that her father was killed by Sportsmaster under, remember when Sportsmaster worked for the light, and Roy tried, and um, Will, at the time going by Roy, tried to stop him. But if you remember back in season one, he was under the light's mind control. And so Sportsmaster used that against him to basically put him in basically put him in a trance that allowed him to go kill um, Perdita's dad, and yeah. So that is basically everything Young Justice that has happened, and I have to say, it was a complete wild ride. It was filled to the brim with twists and turns, plot twists out the ass, fake deaths, everything that you like about a superhero story is in there. It was amazing, had a good deal of representation, and overall, I would rate the season an 8 out of 10. Not counting the comic. Well, that was a very uh, not brief description. And unfortunately, we're going to run this podcast almost to three goddamn hours. Unfortunately, I can. that was the most condensed version I can get for you. Because if I went into more detail, we would be here forever. But I really wanted to talk about it because I really loved Young Justice. Young Justice has been my all-time favorite DC animated property. In fact, it is my favorite superhero animated property of all time. In fact, season four of Young Justice has done the best out of any animated superhero property on streaming, meaning it has surpassed the numbers Invincible made back when it debuted on Amazon. Right. So well, with that being said, we definitely got to jump into our politics segment, make that the last thing of the night because... We gotta wrap up things up soon. Yeah, so so, but I, I really want to talk about it. 8 out of 10. Really good. I would recommend watching it. You can find it on HBO Max. You should watch every season. Seasons 1 all the way to season 4. And if you can, read the comic books. There is a prequel. There are interlude comics in between season 1 and 2 that came out that you should definitely read. And there is now an interlude comic which is supposed to happen between season 4 and whenever season 5 gets greenlit. This is the comics called Young Justice Targets. You can find it. Issue 1 is out now. I believe it's a six-issue series, so it should come out every month. So in six months from now, the entire series should be done. Please watch it. Please read it all. Please support Young Justice. It's amazing. All right. So let's go ahead and jump right in with our last segment here to wrap up the night. So at this point, the uh, January 6th committee has up to two hearings at this point. We will not be covering the first one, but we will be covering the second one in depth. The first one was pretty much... Just to prove uh, how the uh, investigation has gone, what um, direction they will be taking with the hearings, and also what leaders have requested pardons from President Trump at the time. Yeah. The second committee, which we will be going more in depth in, will be proving that Trump knew that he was spreading lies about the election. Yeah. So before we start that, I do want to explain why they're doing this. So... When the first committee hearing happened, it was to establish what the crime was. The crime was the invasion of the Capitol by the January 6th insurrectionist on the basis that they were lied to by the president who was trying to use this as a coup attempt. To establish that that premise that they're basing their, 
to establish that that premise is true, they need to go back in time to address when Donald Trump said the election was a fraud. And they needed to prove that one, he was knowingly lying about the fact that the election was a fraud. And two, that he was going to then actively try and circumvent the events of the, to circumvent the results of the election to lead into January 6th. So the first two hearings right now is a bunch of basically glorified backstory. It is it basically is. all trying to set the premise that Trump knew what he was doing the entire time. He was intentionally trying to make January 6th a coup attempt. It yeah. was very much an attempt by Trump and his allies to do so. And there are a lot of people that have come forward to say this. From minor staffers all the way up to former Attorney General William Barr himself. Yes, and his uh, testimony was the most striking because it was up to the point where, like, he le like legitimately quit because of all the in his words bullshit that was going on and being he spewed in there he um, didn't quit he was fired oh he was fired he was fired but he was gonna quit it's kind of his, his intention was to quit yes because that that was what i got from his testimony yes. at this. however don't think bill barr is a good person he is not a good person and his father allowed jeffrey epstein to be a teacher that gave him access to children fuck the Barr family yeah so anyway pretty much everyone from Bill Barr up until Ivanka actually testified for them. So they they went all out as far as getting people in and getting them to testify in front of the January 6th committee. Yeah, Ivanka and Jared Kushner. Yeah. The only one that's left is um, Trump Jr. to testify. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so one of the biggest takeaways we should take away, one of the biggest takeaways from all of this is that the Republican Party as a whole has completely done away with the idea that they care about democracy in this country. Yeah. This has firmly shown that Trump and his sycophants knew full well what they were doing was A, illegal, two, immoral, and three, undemocratic, and they gave two shits about it. We actually learned that um, Rudy Giuliani, who was Trump's attorney during all of this, was drunk on election night. We actually didn't learn this today. This has been public knowledge for the longest time, actually. No, but we learned how drunk he was. He was absolutely shit-faced and was like, because we can lie. We can lie about this. Because ultimately his goal was like, yeah, uh, announce it tonight. Announce your win tonight. Do it, do it, do it. Do it now. And he kept getting redirected just so that way that, that didn't happen. Yeah, he was very much trying to get Trump to just say, you win, if you say that you win first, we'll sort out all the details afterwards, which... I mean, it did happen. It did happen, but it was, it, it was, it firmly cements the idea that this idea that Trump was going to lie about the election was, was something that wasn't just him, but was a conspiracy done by him and other people. As Trump did it, after expressly running it by other people who either disagreed and he ignored and agreed and went through it with. Yeah. We also had people like Sidney Powell come forward, basically admitting that everything that she said was complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, and, you know, her legally getting away with what she said. Yes, because it is a legal defense where if you lie to the public knowingly, you can just tell them, well, of course I was lying. How would, why would anyone believe a word that I said? Of course it all sounded like a lie. Which I hate the fact that that's actually a real defense that you can make. Oh, I lied? Well, you should have known I was lying. Everything I said was ridiculous. Yeah. 
I hate that the fact that that is a legal defense that is one, very viable, and two, has succeeded at at least two occasions. Tucker Carlson also used this excuse when talking about the news that he presents on Fox News. He said, my viewer should never believe a word that comes out of my mouth because I'm embellishing and lying the entire time. Yeah. Another reason why Tucker Carlson fuck fucking sucks and why you should never believe a word that comes out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Ultimately, the one good thing to come out of this was the fact that I got to hear Trump say the magical words again. Big, massive dumps. I hate it. <laughs> this, while while this while this definitely gave me a trip down memory road to remind myself how subhumanly retarded Donald Trump is. Yeah, yeah, it's still really fucking bad. How bad he does not understand the voting process in this country, and how he willingly denied ever trying to learn for the better, or he knew and just yeah. didn't care. Yeah, and there were a ton of lies that they brought up. Like, I never learned specifically, but they brought up the, uh, what, is it Dinesh D'Souza's, his, uh, mule comment? Yes. So, uh, go into that, because I don't actually remember that. I don't remember too much about Dinesh D'Souza's mule comment, but basically it was that people were promised, it's basically, it was pretty racist, as it's supposed to be, I believe it. Oh, is, is it, like, a reference to the two acres and a mule type thing? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's exactly what it's a reference to. Basically, okay. that the Democrats promised something equivalent to the two acres and a mule, which was the original agreement that slaves were supposed to get after they were freed, which was never which was never given to us, which is partially why black people are still, you know, unequal and deal with all the shit that we have to do today. But that's neither here nor there right yeah. now. Yeah, other lies that were brought were like the, um, the common one, which was... Hugo uh, Chavez. Yes, the, the ghost of Hugo Chavez being uh, a uh, influencer in the... Uh, election which uh what so um that was a, that was a sydney powell thing wasn't it yes so what i need to explain to you about this one is ghosts don't fucking exist <laughs> yeah and second of all if ghosts did exist hugo chavez could give fuck all about america right now if he's a ghost he's dealing with a whole bunch of other shit but also, ghosts don't fucking exist, so that entire claim was so fucking retarded, but it spread so much that it needed to be addressed. Yeah, and other common lies were the bins under the tables. Which was, no, which was, yes, there was a bin under the table. Because it was a room filled of mail-in ballots that they were trying to count! Yeah, because the common lie was, oh, the a bunch of Biden votes just appeared under the table, which, uh... It was like, no, this was a room where all the mail-in ballots were stored for when they were ready to count. Which, obviously, since there were a lot of mail-in ballots, they just wanted to use that as a, an excuse to stop Biden votes from getting in. Yeah, some people also talked about how, oh, there was a truck that came in with all these votes. Yeah, that was a mail truck filled with mail-in <laughs> mail ballots. Of course a mail truck would deliver mail-in ballots to a ballot counting office <laughs> yeah another thing that was actually pointed out was like the anger that happened behind the scenes when um when fox announced uh, arizona yeah so as it turns out and i mean i've known this for a while and generally the only time i ever trust fox news is during election coverage because to be fair they do have some of the best election tracking election tracking coverage out there because 
the big thing that angered them was the fact that they called Arizona first and far earlier than anybody else. Yeah. So much to the point that it, like, it's been pretty common knowledge, like, weeks after the election that this pissed off Trump. Oh, it pissed off everyone in the conservative sphere that Fox called it so early. But, I mean, the only time you should really trust Fox News is when they're doing election tracking because they got the best in the business. They kind of do, yeah. They got the best in the business. And I remember when that first came out, my dad was incredulous about it. He's like, how could they possibly know what? I was like, I believe it. I believe Fox News would say that. Because why? I would be like, listen, what point does Fox News have in lying about who won? Yeah. During the actual tracking of the election. Especially Biden winning Arizona. Why would they lie about that? Think about that. Why would they call it early as a lie? It made no sense. So, of course, they were correct. And Arizona did go to Biden. Yeah. And there were there was another thing. I, Pennsylvania. I, I feel like, uh, no, something to do with like the actual bringing in of ballots. I feel like there was another big one that I'm missing out on. The truck? Not the truck. Oh, no, the Dominion voting systems being uh, responsible oh. for um. Oh, yeah, a bunch oh of yeah. they believe that the Dominion voting systems would believe that um, they could switch a vote from Biden to Trump because, get this, there was a Wi-Fi signal in the corner. Which means it was connected to the internet. Which? Which, um... Oh, my God, we do not educate our population enough. Oh, my God. I don't even want to fully address that statement because that was so subhumanly retarded like honestly you subliterate troglodytes what the fuck is wrong with you anyways no that didn't happen dominion machines were not in any way capable of switching the ballots from trump to biden or vice versa not possible did not happen trump just didn't get as many votes and mind you Many of his campaign staff knew that this would happen because Trump disincentivized people from voting via mail and instead tried to get them to vote on election day. Which, if you know anything about American elections, you should know that voting by mail, one, makes it easier for everyone on both sides to vote, and two, increases voter turnout because voting days are not considered a holiday. In fact, he was actually told that um, by his staffers himself. Yes. In America, voting day is not a holiday. It is just a regular day, meaning people still have to go to school, people still have to go to work. Like, the, everything about the day runs exactly normal, except there are long lines for people to wait. And if you have a job and you have shit to do, you don't have time to go in and vote. And the fact that Trump really hammered home to his electorate that they should not vote via mail and they should do a voting day meant that a lot of them just simply didn't have time to go in to vote. Manning, he ended up getting less votes. Mind you, he still had a historic amount of votes for any yeah. Republican candidate I don't think ever. That, I don't think that was enough to influence his loss. Oh, it's definitely not enough to influence his loss. However, it is enough to influence the rhetoric surrounding mail-in voting, which led to a lot of the lies. Yes. Mind you, he still got a historic amount of votes for any Republican candidate in the history of this country. So it's it just, not like it hurt him too much. It just so happened that Biden had an even more historic turnout. Exactly. But, yeah, so all of that combined for, say, that Trump was very incompetent in the lead-up to the actual election itself. Yeah. Which, ultimately, I think that today's, or not today's, I'm sorry, the most recent hearing served its purpose as far as trying to prove, ultimately, that 
Trump was knowledgeable beyond a reasonable doubt that what he was spreading was false. Yes. Like, for example, the fact that Bill Barr said that there was no election tampering actually got him into a massive screaming match with Trump in the Oval Office. Yeah. Trump berated him, screaming at him, saying, you don't love Trump, with Trump speaking about himself in the third person. <laughs> Which, I knew Trump was deranged. I didn't think he was that deranged, though. You didn't think he was that deranged? Start speaking about yourself in the third person? Come on. Trump? I can't see Trump speak about himself in the third person. You wouldn't? No. You really wouldn't? He's more of a first person type of guy. It's about me. Me, 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 me. I and me. I and me. I and me. I can see that about Trump. I cannot see third person. See, but he also thinks of himself. Whenever he thinks about himself, he also does think about his brand. So. But, but he, it's, it's him. It's about him, though. It's about him, the person. But when someone says Trump, they talk about him. Not his brand, they talk about him. Okay, fair That's enough. why I wasn't thinking about... That's why it was kind of weird when they said he was speaking about himself in third person. I can see it happening. I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't. But, yeah, it ended up with a massive screaming match when Bill Barr said that, yeah, no, there was no election fraud. Um, many, many members of his staff frequently got berated for not saying... For not saying there was fraud because there was no fraud. Yeah, remember the uh, outrage that came out after, uh, was it the chief of staff or who, who said that the um, election was the most secure out of any election before? I believe it was the FBI. Was it the FBI? I know the Justice Department also said it. Hmm. There were many people within the government that was saying it and Trump was pissed at every last one of them. Yeah. Yes, um, Rudy Giuliani was very heavily peddling the bullshit machine. In fact, Trump's B-team of legal experts basically quit yeah. because it was such bullshit and they were completely just tossed out of the loop where they were trying to see if there was any standing, of which there was none, and they tried to convince Trump that there is no standing and you shouldn't be doing this. I mean, hell, behind the scenes, they were called the normal group. Exactly. They, they were the normal group of lawyers, whereas... You had Powell and Giuliani on the other side, and it's like, no, that's the psychos. Yeah, those are those are the those those are the schizos over there. Yeah. On top of that, they also talked about the fact that Trump was robbing his voters, because remember all those Trump emails about oh the save the election fund type bullshit. And no, it was much more malicious than that. It's no, like, no, no. I know, but it was like it's, that was the name of the fund. Yeah, like. It was extremely malicious, like, you are letting the Trump army down. You are letting, tr like, President Trump personally is giving you one more day to give financial donations to help save the country. And you are letting the president down. You have let the vice president down. You have let Jared down. You have let, let Ivanka down. down. You have let, let the president down. down. Like, it was so aggressive. Oh, and you know the poor 70 and 80 year olds ate that up. Oh, yeah, I know. It was, it was, it was pretty fucking aggressive. And of course, the January 6th commission revealed that it was all a scam. None of that money went anywhere. Yeah, that was the to... other thing that was proven is that all of the fundraising that they did did not go towards the investigation of whether or not it was fraudulent. It all went to just PACs and corporations. Pretty much. Yeah, because if anyone doesn't remember, back when they actually started bringing the fraudulent cases to court, which was about 60 of them, none of them were for arguing fraud. 
Yeah, what was it about to say? I because literally, it was, wasn't it like what well, was like seventy? Wasn't it like seventy-two cases were brought forward, and one of them they won, and the one that they won would not have changed the vote count at all. Yeah, because there was even one where the the judge literally asked, "Well, if this isn't for this isn't for fraud, then why are you here?" Yeah. Yeah, like it got that. Ridiculous. Oh yeah, so many judges threw, so many Trump appointed judges at that threw those cases out because they were so frivolous and so dumb that the judges were like, "I cannot be bothered to do this bullshit." But I would like to remind you all of something. Yes, there were a lot of people in Trump's side that were against him, but look at how far he got just with the limited amount of people that were on his side. Imagine what could happen if only a couple more people were on his side. We'd be in a very different America right now. And I say that as to say that, you know, well, democracy in our country is not safe when these people are in power. Because look how far they got with all the lies that they did. We are still uncovering all of the lies that they've gone through. Just from the lies that we already have known publicly, it is enough for Trump to be prosecuted on criminal charges. Can you imagine what else they have left? There are four, is it 13 other hearings we have left? I thought it was seven. Seven or seven to 13 other hearings left about this shit. Yeah, this is going to carry on for a while. Hopefully it helps us out in the midterms, but knowing how gerrymandered we are, we are uh, we are royally fucked. No, it's not about how gerrymandered are. It's how limp dick the Democrats are and how they are, haven't been screaming from the rooftops about how this was a, very much an attack on our democracy and our Republicans part and parcel allowed it to happen, have downplayed its significance, and are very much allowing it to happen again. And unfortunately, it looks like the Amber Heard trial is going to be the one that has more cultural impact than this. Yes, because Democrats do not know how to ever push anything correctly. All they do is they just do this whole civility politics, bipartisan bullshit, while Republicans fucking steamroll them in the court of public opinion by astroturfing them with the most fascist right-wing shit imaginable. And Democrats sit there twiddling their fucking thumbs like, oh, if they go low, we go high. Bitch, that's not how that fucking works. If they go low, you don't go high. If they go low, you're gonna get fucking hit in the stomach, dumbass. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know I'm right. That that trial, definitely over one day, will have more viewings than the actual Jan 6 public hearing. Exactly, because no one, no one on the Democrats is promoting this. No one on the Democrats is talking about the fact. And you know what? For as much as they complain, for much as they preach about bipartisan civility politics, this should be the thing that they focus on because the the vice chair of the committee is Liz, Liz Cheney, Cheney, a fucking Republican, the daughter of Vice President Dick Cheney at that. If you wanted to push bipartisanship, you should be pushing this committee out the fucking ass. But Biden isn't doing shit, Kamala isn't doing shit, Pelosi isn't doing shit, Schumer isn't doing shit, the squad ain't doing shit, no one's doing shit to push this. Why? Yep. No one is doing shit to talk about the fact that we very close, we very, we very closely lost democracy. And that the criminal president that instituted it may just walk free despite ample evidence to the crimes committed on a massive scale. So many people within his party, so many people within his White House have said that it was all a lie, it was all purposeful that it was a lie, 
but nothing. In fact, we're learning even more about the connection that Fox News has had to all of this shit. Oh yeah. And the fact that Fox News hasn't been shouted down for being the propaganda agency that it is by any of its rivals is fucking infuriating. We've all known that Fox News is a propaganda agency, but this trial is showing just how intertwined the upper echelons of Fox News was with this plot to destroy democracy. Example, and no one is talking about it. Yeah, for example, like it was obvious during the uh, insurrection that Sean Hannity was having contact with, what's her name? Jenny. Uh, uh, Jenny Thomas. No, 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 no. Kaylee McEnany. Oh, yeah. Oh, but also Jenny Thomas. She was also talking to Jenny Thomas at the time as yeah. well. Who, once again, that's another thing they should be blowing up. The fact that a Supreme Court justice's wife was in on the entire thing the entire time. <sighs> no. But ultimately, everything that we did learn today, or uh, and explained today, ultimately shouldn't be brushed off. It shouldn't be. Like, the things that you should take for and I believe that everyone should do their due diligence and watch every committee hearing that happens because at the end of the day this is the real story of what's been going on behind the scenes of our country this is a real story of government corruption happening on a massive scale to the point where they try to circumvent democracy itself. One of the bedrocks for not just our country, but for a majority of countries in the Western world and several countries in the Eastern world. Yeah. It is a bedrock to a whole bunch of societies. And if the largest one can get toppled over, come on. The saying has always been, if it can happen somewhere, it can happen anywhere. And if it can happen here, it sure shit will happen anywhere. I will wrap up this segment by saying, with Fox News not being able to show, or not wi being willing to show this sec- um, They did actually start showing it. They did show the second one? Yes, they did show it, but uh, they, you know, they did their Fox News thing and all just said it was a sheer trial. Yeah. No, the funniest thing was that they said it was a, sh like, hyper-edited, super-excitable trial that was boring. Yeah, which is, that's just, like, your opinion, man. But also, it's because they're wholly, they're wholly a part of this. And I hate they—they they really think their their audience is stupid. They—they they really do. I will not say anything further about that matter. <laughs> I will not. I know say, what's I know what's going on in your. Head. I will not say anything. I know you. I will not say anything in regards to that statement. I will let that statement land as it did. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I think that just about wraps up everything. Um, oh yeah, well, just one other thing I want to talk about. Um, the groups that were involved were the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and others. And we just learned that Enrico Ter Enrique Terrio, who was um, the leader of the Proud Boys at the time, was given plans to occupy congressional buildings and the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Huh. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, um... Oh yeah, and uh, this is completely unrelated, but very funny. Lauren, Lauren Boebert used to be an escort and had abortions. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about that for like five minutes? I mean, there's nothing much to say. Being an escort isn't bad. Having an abortion so isn't there, bad. There's actually a lot to talk about because... Really? Actually, the um, the people that are doing that, the American Muckrakers Pack, is um, the ones who brought down Madison Cawthorn. Oh, 
but they brought down Madison Cawthorn because he pointed out the fact that they were having cocaine, they were having cocaine filled orgies. No, like Which, they brought brought out a bunch of like they brought out the. Oh, uh, oh yeah, they brought out the femboy shit. Yeah, yeah. So they're doing the same with her now. Of course, as leftists, we've got to say we have nothing wrong with sex work, and there's nothing wrong with being a femboy either. See, yeah. that's the problem I have with these things is that. They're ultimately aimed for Republicans because that's what they think is degenerate. Yeah, it's like, the problem I have with these things is like, yay, Madison Cawthorn's being canceled. Why is he being canceled? He's a femboy. So fucking what? But, oh, Lauren Boebert's being canceled. Why is she being canceled? Oh, she was an escort and she had an abortion. I don't give a fuck. But here's the thing. It goes much deeper than that. Okay. So I, I, gotta, I gotta go and say allegedly because... They did just come out with this information this week, so the validity of these statements cannot be proven yet. The Listen, I went on a 45-minute rant about Young Justice. Go off. So there's a lot of there are a lot of receipts. We don't know the validity yet, but we can continue. This links up to Ted Cruz. I'm now 75% more interested in this. So, so explain, how this, uh, explain how this uh, explain how this will connect to our good old friend uh, Raphael. So. Apparently, so as her job as an escort, it actually led, led her up, allegedly, to uh, her meeting up with the Koch brothers. Okay, that doesn't surprise me. Okay, so in the way that it ultimately led to her being introduced to Ted Cruz, who encouraged her, again, I gotta say, allegedly, but it encouraged her to run for office, and thus he donated to her campaign, and then she actually had to like clarify that those were there because there were irregularities between her campaign finances and his campaign finances because his like his office donated to her campaign oh so yeah it goes much deeper than you think and so wait, he met her while she was i think she just like had ideas for politics and then was introduced to him it's not clear if he had um a like working or like if she had a professional relationship with him so i can't make that assumption huh um well then so my new head canon <laughs> is that uh the coke brothers and ted cruz made her airtight <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we know Ted Cruz is a degenerate. Remember, this man retweeted incest porn. Remember, he is a degenerate. He retweeted incest porn on his official account. Mind you, it was, you know, the stereotypical, like, what are you doing, stepmom? But, you know. You know. You know. <laughs> you know. I have said some degenerate stuff on this podcast. You have surpassed every other instance just with that comment. <laughs> that you, have, a... <laughs> you have, congratulations, you have surpassed me in cringe. And remember, we dedicated a whole episode to Morbius. So, just because of my input. Listen, listen, <laughs> you are the one that brought up the fact that she met the Koch brothers through her, you know job and uh that uh that also meant that she met ted cruz i'm just and also you brought up that the group that took her down that took the that took her down is the same group that talked about madison cawthorn i mean come on come on come on come on we yeah. know republicans are degenerates 
we know they are dirty degenerates <laughs> like the rest of us. They just like to be holier and thou and pretend that they're not. And so, come on. So yeah, you now that, you now don't that... think you don't think they hit it before. You don't think that Ted Cruz didn't hit it. Come on. Come on. So uh, MTG was, you know, your stereotypical wine mom that was cheating on her husband with her fucking personal trainer. So, come on. Come on. Come on. And probably also has a thing for Trump. She touched a cardboard cutout of Trump's crotch. Like, let's be honest here. Ooh. In front of a crowd. Ooh. Ew. <laughs> Ew. 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 That's disgusting. That's How could you say what I said is disgusting? That's fucking disgusting. Man, well, at least now I know one other Republican that that likes Ted Cruz. I, I used to always talk about how Ted Cruz is the most hated Republican ever. But, I mean... Now the question is, do you think Lauren Boebert tops Nancy Reagan as the throat goat? Oh my god, you're really going to do this now. <laughs> you're really going to do this to me now. Does she top Nancy Reagan as the throat goat? No. No, her... Her status must be maintained. Oh my god. Oh my god. You're horrible. Oh god. You're absolutely horrible. I hope you know that. Yes, I am. Yes, I am, but come on. Oh god, just... Um, stop spreading those deeply misogynic rumors about Lauren Boebert. See, this is the thing that I am... Um, that, that always gets me. When the conservatives talk about how this is deeply misogynistic, that uh, saying that Lauren Boebert is an escort. Here's the thing. Lauren Boebert being an Oh my fucking god! What? You found her modeling pictures? Yes! What the fuck? I didn't know her tits were that big. What the fuck? Can you stop? There's no way that's the, oh my god, it's the same person. Yeah, it's the because, nose. Yeah, because she's got different uh, colored hair in those pictures, she looks completely different, but it's her. You can tell by the hair texture and the nose, it's the same person. And I did not realize her tits were that big. Jesus Christ. Please do not start finding these conservatives attractive, please, for the love of God. Oh my god. Stop. Ah. Uh, eh. Ass is still kind of flat. <laughs> Stop it. Bonk. Okay, anyways, I, as I was saying, there is, there is nothing wrong with being an escort because sex work is work, and just because you have sex for work does not make you any lesser than anyone. And even if she had an abortion, so fucking what? Abortions aren't bad either. So that's the thing that I always find the most funny with Republicans that talk about how, oh my god, this is so, like, misogynistic. It's misogynistic when you think of it as a negative thing. 
But if you point out that she was these things and that it's hypocritical for Republicans to hold her up as someone about family values, but tear down the same exact people that do the same thing, except they just have a different political opinion, that's just pointing out hypocrisy. Yeah. And ultimately, this was because um, before the time she allegedly started, her restaurant did go bankrupt. Or it was either her or her restaurant. I can't remember. I mean, I mean, she got it, so might as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, being an escort, and it seems like she was a pretty good escort, at least she was gotten in in the escort community pretty well, could be very lucrative, seeing as how she met a lot of powerful people. It could be pretty lucrative. It is a good career... No, I shouldn't say that. It's not necessarily a good career path because sex work is very dangerous because of all be, of the bad actors involved. It could be if properly regulated. If properly regulated and if properly done, can be a very lucrative career path. And so her going to escort work after having a failed restaurant, you know, isn't actually all that bad. I think it's actually pretty smart because a lot of people, if they had lost a restaurant, a lot of people would have just fucking gave up. Yeah. And now, mind you, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, oh yeah, Lauren Burbert's better than most people because she didn't give up. But what I am saying is that she took what she got. Yeah. She took what she got. Life dealt her a hand, and she's like, you know what? I'm pretty. I'm going to try and be an escort and see if I can make this work. And hey, she didn't make it work. So she kudos to her. She made it work all the way up to the devil. She made a deal with them. And now we can drag her through the mud from there. I resent you calling Ted Cruz the devil. He is not that big. Come on now. Don't don't put him up. Don't that's an insult to the devil. I knew you were gonna do that. That is an insult to the devil. Don't put Ted Cruz up there. Get Ted Cruz down from there. He's going to hurt himself. Get him <laughs> down. Get him down from there. And he is not that high. And mind you, this isn't her first controversy because Wasn't her, her other controversy bringing a fucking gun into the Capitol? There's that, but one's like way before she even ran. Like one's like where she deliberately sold her clients soiled meat. Actually, was it soiled or no, no, no? Her restaurant just sold bad meat. I think it was. No wonder she went bankrupt. Yeah. Goddamn. And there was other ones involving her husband. Okay. Well, what did? Okay, it depends. If it's just, it depends. Because I do not like this idea of holding certain people accountable for things their spouses did, unless it's truly reprehensible. I gotta look this up, because I think it is that bad. Really? Yeah, I think it is that bad. Hmm. I think it has to do with indecent exposure. But that's not necessarily her. Yeah. I wouldn't, for, I wouldn't hold that against her. It's just controversies associated with her name. Yeah, fair enough. I wouldn't hold that against her, though. Oh, yes. I do remember the other politics segment we needed to talk about. It's a double politics slash entertainment segment. We needed to talk about Ezra Miller! <gasps> oh, my God. How did I forget about this? The moment you mentioned indecent exposure. Ezra Miller. Yes. Let us talk about DC's favorite fuck-up, Ezra Miller. Now, as much as I want to jump on the bandwagon here because... Like I've said in multiple previous segments, I hate him as the Flash. That God damn it, I forget. I am so sorry. They are a very bad actor, and um, I resent them for ever being casted. But mind you, this is very serious, so I'm going to withhold myself for the coming few minutes, even though I am bursting at the seams to tear into them as much as I can. 
Yes. Ezra Miller has been found to have been grooming and kidnapped, or has kidnapped and groomed a teenage girl. Yes. So, first of all, I want to say no props to the parents whatsoever. Because if what they are saying is true, they allowed a 14-year-old girl to travel cross-continent with a 23-year-old man. With a 25-year-old man. At the time, identifying as a man. Which, I don't care who the fuck you are, that is an absolute no. And, if the rumors are true, Ezra Miller was in contact with this girl when he, when they were 23 and she was 12. You can't help it either. It's tough. It is tough because he's, because they've been going by he, him for a while, but yes, they, them. But yes, Ezra Miller was in contact with this girl while they were 23 and she was 12. He, they, fuck! <laughs> they were nearly twice her age. Yes, yeah, so I am uh, dumb. Um, no, horrible, horrible, despicable. Throw them under the fucking jail. So what needs to be done is that uh, the entire Flash script needs to be rewritten before the next coming months when it releases. Um, yes, I, I have come up with the perfect fix for this, which is that um, the entire time Ezra Miller has been playing the reverse Flash who had gotten cosmetic surgery to look like Barry Allen. Yes, that is comic book accurate. Yes, it is a comic book storyline. So yes, it could work. Exactly. And I've also proposed that the real Flash all along was Grant Gustin. But, back to the shitstorm themselves. So, this is not the first time Ezra Miller has been in, you know, controversy. Because, you know, if you've they, were, they were terrorizing Hawaii. They did threaten to murder a husband and wife couple. Yep. As we, I've gone into extensive detail in our previous episodes, because I love tearing into them. Because, uh, let's face it, they're a terrible flash. They were a terrible Flash, but that has nothing to do with the fact that they are ultimately a terrible human being. Yes. The fact that they are getting away with... Well, I don't know if they're going to get away with this. I mean, from, from what they, I last read, it seems like they are on the run. I don't think that's accurate. It's more that the they just haven't found them. So the biggest thing that's going on is they that the courts can't find a place to properly serve him. Because ultimately, the uh, courts want to find them and her, and bring them into court. Yes, the daughter has been saying that all of this is a lie, and that her father and mother are just lying. To be honest, I am not 100% sure how much I want to believe that. Especially if this relationship started while she was a minor. If she, Not just a minor, a 12-year-old. Yeah. A 12-year-old! Which could easily lead the way to um, her, uh, her attaching... Uh, herself to them exactly so i don't know how much i want to believe that but if this is true and it's looking like it is ezra miller is a right piece of shit and oh my god this person was supposed to be the face of dc moving forward can you believe that i never wanted to i never wanted to never never in my life would have i been able to admit it and now i don't have to 
Yeah. To be honest, the only reason why this film has not been canceled is unions. Once yeah, the film is ninety percent, once the film is ninety percent completed, they cannot cancel it because that goes against union rules. But if yeah. this film was less than ninety percent completed, I imagine they would have been throwing this shit into the fucking furnace as fast as they can. Yeah, the only reason I'm not clapping like a seal and just being overjoyous about this is ultimately because a minor has been abused, and I feel like that's not really that much of a laughing matter. Yeah, so I just as much as I would love to tear into them. I, I don't feel right doing it. Yeah, I, I, really I just, don't. I just, I just, every time I've seen Ezra Miller on the news, it's always been a crime, and I've always thought, like, yeah, they're a terrible person, but at least the levels of their terror wasn't, like, so bad. Like, threatening people with death, I thought, you know what, that's pretty bad, you need help, you need to... You need yeah. to be, like, sent somewhere to be given help because this is completely inappropriate. Because that's in... that's typically something like, oh, actor gone crazy. Yeah. that That's typical. This, yeah. this, on the other hand... It seemed like prior, he like they were going under some type of psychotic break. This, however, establishes a pattern of abusive behavior that extends long past this crime spree that's currently happening. Which means that they have far more issues than we first imagined and they are far more morally depraved than we first imagined and they desperately need to one be helped they need help they need a lot of help but two also be punished for the actions that they did and hopefully rehabilitated so whenever they return to society they are a much better person for it yes but right now that's not looking like to happen because i don't think they can find them i mean find them yeah, exactly. They still can't serve them anywhere because they're just on the run. Yes, and I don't care. I don't want any of you fucking Eva-files coming out and saying, well, actually, the age of consent and shut the fuck up. It's a fucking minor, you dumbasses. Stop trying to justify this shit. Oh, God, that's disgusting. Is that actually happening? That happens every time. Oh, God. Listen, remember, we were in the Smash community. Uh, Come on. Uh, Come on. Uh, stop remember, ruining my hopes for humanity. You remember Ally and Captain Zack? Stop it. Exactly. I want to be still optimistic about the human race. Please stop that. I mean, we can be optimistic about the human race, but we still need to be frank and real about them. Uh, we're a plague on this planet. Yep. So, yeah, that was the other entertainment slash politics segment because the politics surrounding this is that unfortunately this is something that the right wing if they so choose to run with could run with this to say see we told you the entire time that these lgbt people were nothing but child groomers and pedophiles and i hate that because this is an example of a high profile person that is gender non-binary who is a member of the lgbt community grooming a child Yep. In very explicit terms. And of course, there's also had to be an AMAB person. For those that don't know, AMAB means assigned male at birth, which makes it worse because those are the normal people that conservatives will fearmonger about when they think of the LGBT, LGBT community. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it looks like this is going to go right under them. They haven't weaponized this yet. I so. wouldn't be so sure. I saw Lauren Southern tweet about it. 
Oh, no. Yes, remember, noted terrorist, and she is a terrorist, Lauren Southern was tweeting about it, and uh, she's not a nobody. Yeah, she's not a nobody, definitely. Uh, let's just hope this one doesn't reach the politicians. Oh, uh, God, if I see a Tucker Carlson segment on it, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Ugh. Anyway, that should just about wrap things up. Yeah. Yep. It's a long segment, unfortunately influenced by a thunderstorm. Yeah. That's all par for the course. Yep. So yeah, we had a uh, lengthy segment or la lengthy episode. Yeah. Yeah. So this was pretty good. Um, next week we will be talking more about uh, Kenobi. It will be the season finale. We will also be talking about Miss Marvel, which will be the mid-season point of the season. We will also probably talk about... I don't know. Yeah. Is there another commission hearing this week? I don't believe so. Who knows? Maybe something comes up in, our, in a recent primary. I think there was one this week, although I don't think anything came up of it. Uh, I just heard that a couple Republicans have been losing to Trump-backed uh, challengers. There was there was a Texas uh, like blue safe district that flipped red. I know that. Oh God. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, whatever it may be, we will be coming to you next week. And um, if you guys have noticed, episodes are now being re-uploaded to Spotify because finally we have invested into an external hard drive. So we are now able to back up all of our episodes, and now they will be rolled out onto Spotify within the coming weeks as well as minor updates and edits to existing VODs that we have on YouTube. Yep. So, yes. So, now more than ever, like, comment, subscribe.